That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. As a sports fan, you're being asked to be more discerning than ever in disseminating information. Oh, we're going to dive deep on that today. Misinformation, propaganda, how do you trust, how do you know, where there's smoke, is there always fire? Uh, case in point, Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Report out today saying that uh, Russell Wilson tried to convince Jody Allen. Seahawks trustee, Blazers trustee, I don't know what to call her, but trying to convince Jody Allen to fire Pete Carroll. Fire John Schneider, the GM, and instead the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. Do you believe it? Russell Wilson uh, coming out today on Twitter saying, no, that's nonsense. He was a father figure to me. He's been on record talking fondly of Pete Carroll. But the problem that Russell Wilson has in all of this is he's got a credibility issue. Nobody's quite sure what's authentic with Russell Wilson and what's not at this point. He's acted, is that the right word? Acted in all the right ways. But beneath that, you've got teammates that kind of roll their eyes at him. You wonder how much of the raw-raw is for the cameras, for his contract. What do you make of all this? And what can you trust? Can you trust Russell Wilson when he says... No, no, Pete was a father figure to me. I find that most times, if we step back from, you know, the, uh, the up-close version of events, we get the 20,000-foot view, we can often tell who's got an agenda, who's motivated here. There's, there's awful lot of backlash against Russell Wilson, and, and uh, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. He probably wasn't happy with John Schneider, probably wasn't happy with Pete Carroll, but would he really be dumb enough? to try to circumvent them and go to Jody Allen, who wasn't in Russell Wilson's orbit, wasn't in his sphere. He wasn't dealing with her prior to the death of her brother, Paul Allen, and try to convince her to do something about Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Does that make any sense to anyone? 503-417-7575. Let's unpack this. Judah Newby, you're the, you're the biggest Seahawks fan in the land. You know, let's start with Russ. What is, you know, his persona, you know, he went from, I'm, I'm trying to think of a better example. It's almost like he was almost Tim Tebow-like in how he was presented years ago. And now we're seeing that maybe beneath the surface there was a guy who wanted us to believe his brand, his image. There's a lot of teammates kind of going, <laughs> talking behind his back. Maybe some jealousy in there. But is there some truth in there? What has happened to kind of Russell Wilson, the persona? Man, it's, we could talk all show about what's, what's happened with this guy. 
I, uh, you know, as far as like sports crushes go for uh, for us males, I had a, I had the biggest sports crush on Russell Wilson when he was drafted by the Seahawks. Is I bought his jersey. You know, I was in I was in college. I was going to road games. I was just soaking up the Russell Wilson magic uh, with the Seahawks. And you know that I bought it. You know, I bought into the persona. I bought into the act. I bought into the mindset. I bought into the, hey, put this team on my back. It's all about how you think. You know, I'm I'm the leader of this team, etc. But you started to see a little bit of fissures of that, you know, with the let Russ cook movement, <laughs> with the uh, Pete Carroll doesn't know how to coach offense. He only knows defense movement, and he's holding Russell Wilson back and all of that. But, man, I, at a certain point, like – both sides have to be in the wrong on this, I feel, I feel, at the end of the day. And at this moment, I'm more sympathetic to Russell than I ever have been, which I didn't expect to get to this point. I loved rooting against him all season. Seattle obviously had Denver's draft pick, so the worse Denver did, the better that draft pick was going to be. It ends up being the fifth overall pick, which is ridiculous. The money that he got in Denver... The fact that Seattle beat him Monday Night Football, like I, I loved rooting against Russell this year, and yet in this moment right now, I feel sympathetic because even though I respect Sando, I respect Jason Jenks, I, I respect the athletic. I just think we've beaten him up too much at this you point. Think really? We pil- needed another some, story against yeah. this guy. <laughs> Do you think that if people are just piling on at this point that it's become fashionable to kind of talk to people about you know the warts that were there? Because I think if we dig around on anybody's story, you're going to find things that you don't like. Like, if you dig around and you're really trying to scrutinize somebody, you can find issues with Damian Lillard. You can find issues with Brandon Roy. You can find issues with Justin Herbert. Oh, he's not a, he's not a vocal leader. Mario Cristobal. Oh, he's so great, and then he leaves. Oh, he's a micromanager. Like, we could do that all day long. So you do think there's some of that going on? There's just some pile. Like, jump on the pile. Russ is down. There's some of that, but I, I do think the authentic, authenticity point that you made in the open also makes sense. Like, we wouldn't say that Brandon Roy was inauthentic. No. We wouldn't say that Damian Lillard is putting on an act. I don't think. We wouldn't say that about Cristobal. Cristobal was a hard-ass micromanager, but we kind of knew that. Like, that's kind of how he presented himself. Russell's deal is that he presents himself a certain way and apparently is not that guy. And that is where he leaves room for all this criticism and uh, it is kind of a fascinating case study. Like, imagine if Tim Tebow wasn't who Tim Tebow said he was. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what if Tim Tebow was a bad guy? Like, man, we, we would just take him to task. But I think he's given enough evidence. He's just ridiculously consistent in his persona. He never gives you reason to believe he's not a good guy. But Russell does. And uh, that kind of, that's where the backlash comes. It's because, man, you you say you are this guy, but you're really not this guy. All your teammates say you're not this guy. You're going behind people's back to ask for them to be fired. By the way, the, what we're not talking about is that Seattle tried to trade Wilson more than once before Wilson went to ownership, allegedly. L- let's that's how that. the business let's, goes, man. Yeah, let me, let me get on that. Let me drill down on that point because, you know, we in the NBA – it happens all the time. Star players will go around their coach or around their GM to ownership, and it happened with Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn, and they will say, "I, you know, I want to be here. I'm more important than the coach. I might be more important than the GM, and 
this is what I want to see. And we've seen star players in the NBA do this. Michael Jordan did it, even as a young player in Chicago and ended up ultimately with Phil Jackson as his coach. And we have seen other NFL players, uh, you know, Peyton Manning comes to mind, Eli Manning comes to mind, that kind of want to control where they end up. And, uh, you know, they know the game. They know how to play it. Maybe they're more tactful. But is it wrong for a player to go to ownership and go, look, um, they're trying to trade me, but I might be more valuable to this franchise. I want to be here. Like, just just say if you're Russell Wilson's friend, did he misplay that? Was it a chess move that he should have played differently? No, I don't think so because I personally think his career had run its course in Seattle as well. Like, they they – were diametrically opposed at the end of the day. Like, he could not adjust to what defenses were doing to him, and he didn't want to adjust his game at all. Um, so even though like, I went on the record with your shows, you know, in the past, in the years past, I thought Russell was going to retire a Seahawk. So, yes, I was surprised when they traded him. But, you know, in retrospect, I'm glad they did, and I, I, I wouldn't have necessarily played it any other way by Russell or uh, or Seattle. What I would say, though, is – I mean, what you're a Niner fan. What if Joe Montana went to uh, ownership in San Francisco? Was it the DeBartolo still at the time? Yep, I don't know. Yep. Yeah, and it was. said, hey, Bill, Bill's getting too old, man. No, it, Bill it, it needs never would have happened. It never would have happened. Never happened. Cause because Joe's they, Joe and yeah. Russell thinks he's Joe, and he's not. And, but Joe Montana, even as he aged and he had a back issue, the Niners said, hey, we got another option. And they went to Steve Young, and they just pivoted. They right. did it with everybody. It's part of what made them great is they were a rare franchise in that they weren't into the ceremonial, we want you to retire as a Niner, we need you, you know, oh, the Camelot and all that stuff. No, they were there to win championships. And so when Joe Montana was waning a little bit, his health was in question, and they had a young Steve Young who was sitting and rotting on the bench, and they were like, at some point we're going to lose this guy we got to play him at some point. They pivoted, and they said, Steve Young, we're handing you the keys. And maybe they did it a little too soon, but they knew they had to do it. They did the same thing with Roger Craig. They did the same thing with Ronnie Lott. It broke my heart as a fan. But I, at the time, I looked at it and went, you know what? This is a franchise that gets it. Like, they're not mm-hmm. caught up on the nostalgia. They're trying to win games. But do you think Russell actually went to Jody Allen? I don't think so. I don't think I don't, I don't think so either. I don't think he would have made that play. I think maybe his agent did, maybe somebody on his behalf did, maybe Burt Cold whispered into Jody's ear like Hannibal think, Lecter. Who I don't do you know. Think, uh, supplied this story then to the Athletic. I I think there's some there's some smoke there, and I think there's probably some truth to you know, like if again let's get to twenty thousand feet. Russell Wilson's agent finds out they're trying to shop him. Like it's not that hard. They're trying to trade you. So they make the play back, and they go, hey, uh, rather than trade him, trade the coach. Coach is old. Guy's old. John Schneider, kind of run his course. Like, you know, we got to build a winner. you got to build around Russell Wilson. You have the quarterback. But maybe this thing's just stale. And I do think that there's, like, there's a season for all things in sports, and it's part of why, like, the Terry Stotts, Neil Olshay era of Blazers, it just kind of ran its course. And you, there's a season for all things. Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, John Schneider kind of ran, it, ran its course. Peter Sampson, where do you stand on this? Yeah, it was a pretty astonishing uh, piece in The Athletic today. I don't know that we're necessarily piling on. I kind of I, I wonder about the timing of this. You know, I think if it had happened right, say, you know, in week five of the, of the regular season when his struggles were really apparent, then this piece comes out and you kind of go, man, what are we doing here? But 
I don't know that he necessarily would have directly gone to Jody Allen and said, hey, look, man, I want these guys gone. But honestly, I didn't necessarily doubt the piece. I mean, but I really, really look. All these guys, it's a brand. It's crafted. Even Damian Lillard, who's quote-unquote brand, it comes from authenticity, but it is still crafted. Make no mistake about that. For it, sure. comes, it comes from a real place, but it is fake, if that makes sense. Russ, to me, is completely fake. I mean, everything about the guy. I, I, I mean, I don't really care, but it's he's he strikes me as the most inauthentic guy in the league. So I sort of looked at that and I said, whether it's fair or not, and I don't know that it is, I went, you know what? I could buy that. I really could. I don't I just I could see it. Three years yeah, it, ago those were fighting words if I you would have told you. me that. <laughs> I know hands and I'm like, no, actually I agree this time. That that's why it's important because I think, you know, look, and I think there's I think if you are a high profile professional athlete, you're a star in your sport. I think it's really hard to keep your feet on the ground. You got everybody around you telling you how great you are. They, you know, your face and your image and your likeness is all over television, all over billboards, on the cover of the media guide, and you know, you're you walk on water and doors open for you. And I wonder over a period of time how some of the stars that are grounded stay grounded. Like we brought up Brandon Roy, he had that post-it note in his locker. It just said, "Stay humble." And it was a reminder to himself. And I even think, like, Peter's right on because, you know, people think with social media now, oh, we're, we're getting a better look at these people as people than ever. We know them uh, and we have a direct relationship with them. No, you don't. You are getting, in a lot of cases, what they want you to think they are, who they want you to think they, uh, what they stand for. Um, they're awfully uh, cognizant of their of their relationships, their endorsements, their you know the their their publicist, their agent, everybody's involved in everything that they put out, and I even think like down to the rap video that Damian Lillard and his teammates film on the plane, like they're they're thinking of that in a brand sense when they put it out there, and you know the narrative is with and they teach the athletes in college and in high school control your brand, control your brand, you know we are we're getting to know the athletes to a certain extent and it's why when you get a guy like Kobe who gets accused of you know a sex assault in Denver people are like no not Kobe I know we see him with we see him with Vanessa we see with and then you start to learn some things and you're like well maybe we don't know this guy really and that happens over and over again and so you know I looked at you know even Russell Wilson's image and brand. I don't blame him for wanting to present himself in a certain way, but we've got to be awful careful as sports fans and media members to remember that we're getting a peek through the keyhole. We're not really, we don't really know these people. We don't really know what they're about. I've heard horrible things about coaches and players that uh, you know, everybody, some other people hold up and put on a pedestal and say, oh, what a great guy. He's a good, good family man. Hell, I mean, for years we saw it with the Blazers. Like, I'd go cover games, and then you'd be in the hallway, and there were the guys, Blazer players, with their wives and their families, and you go, oh, that's really cool. And then down the hallway, there were the groupies. And you were like, well, wait a minute. Like, this isn't congruent. And you could kind of see what was going on uh, behind the scenes. And it was like, you know, they want you to believe they're a certain way. They want you to believe that they stand for certain things, and often there's a commercial reason for that. I think, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe you can tell me as a as a listener of this show and a sports fan, answer for yourself. Like, do you think you know the players? 
Do you think you know what they're about, the athletes of the teams that you root for? Or do you have a sense that, you know, some of this is, all of this is phony to a certain extent. But Russell Wilson, I think he got outed because I think his teammates just got fed up with kind of the rah-rah image of it. Uh, we got a great show today. We got great guests on the show. Dan Ryan, Portland City Commissioner, will be with us at 4 o'clock. Uh, we'll be talking with Chance Gray, University of Oregon women's basketball player. They had a big win over Arizona last night. A little BFT karma for Kelly Graves' team. He comes on the show and they win. What's that about? We'll be talking with her as well. Plus, it's a Friday. We'll play What's Your Peeve. We'll also tell you what's on tap. I want you to leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I grew up rooting for Joe Montana. He was my guy. Golden Joe, man. And then uh, I became a media member, and I went off to Rockland, California to cover a 49ers training camp. Very early in my career, I was a little wide-eyed. I can remember uh, that the 49ers had Cade McNown in camp uh, that, that, uh, that summer. It was roasting hot in Rockland, which is not far from Sacramento, California. Uh, they also had uh, a wide receiver, a young wide receiver that they had drafted named J.J. Stokes. And he was following Jerry Rice around the practice field, emulating Rice. And everybody was kind of watching to see, uh, you know, how that would go. And ultimately, though, uh, I went in, and the biggest thing that I remember from that training camp is going into the cafeteria between practices. They had double days. And seeing Joe Montana in line. I'm in line, at least, getting a soda. I'm waiting for the soda machine. And here comes Golden Joe. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's Joe Montana. Larger than life. And what does he do? He cuts in line. We thought we knew you, Joe. He's a cutter. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying, look, I'm not saying you should hate on your athletes, but you should have a healthy degree of skepticism when it comes to the 15-second interaction or what you see on television when it comes to athletes. They're people. They're imperfect. They may not be who they present to be. Kevin is in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. He's called in. What's up, Kevin? Well, uh, you mentioned something that kind of triggered me about this. Uh, you're completely right about we don't know them. And so you mentioned the Kobe Bryant thing. And when right after that broke, I was driving my daughter from Eugene, Oregon, to the campus at USC to interview for a scholarship, which she eventually got. She was 17 at the time. And we had a very long talk about athletes and their privileged position in the world, and that if she was lucky enough to get this scholarship and go to that school, she was going to be surrounded by them. And don't ever think you know them, really. They have not been told no very often in their lives. And she did go to USC, and she has great stories about it, and it all went really well. But Good. you, as a father of daughters, understand what I'm talking about when you have to kind of have there's the real world out there. 
anyway, um, yeah, we, it's I, a good, I, it, it's a great point, Kevin. And look, um, and I'm not saying people. What I don't want is I don't want people to come away going, aha, and walk up to an athlete and go, you're a scumbag. I bet you are, but no, it's not really what I'm saying. I'm just saying you don't really know. I mean, you know your neighbor at the end of this cul-de-sac better than you know the professional athlete that you root for. You know that guy in the gym that you see 14 times in a month better than a professional athlete. You know, you have a better sense of what they're about. I can tell you, like, you know, look, I've been in a lot of locker rooms, and you'll see some players who, after a game, will stand around with a towel around their waist and do interviews. And you'll see other athletes who will go in, they'll shower, they'll dress, they'll wave off the media, they'll get dressed in their slacks and their dress shirt and their tie, and they'll pull it up tight, and they'll put their coat on, and they'll put lotion uh, all over their face, and then they will uh, check their hair, and then they will turn around, and they will take a deep breath and exhale like they're a theater student about to go on the stage, having their little their moment, and then they'll go, okay, and then th- now you can interview me because now I'm ready to present to you in the way that uh, I want you to see. And and look, I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. Just be mindful of it. You have to do it all the time. We have to do it in media. Right now, today, a great example popped up on social media. Um, Brett McMurphy, a reporter who we have had on this show numerous times, uh, you know, tweeted something out this morning that raised eyebrows, saying that uh, Scripps Sports was now involved in the Pac-12's TV negotiations. And then within about 90 minutes... Stuart Mandela, The Athletic, basically tweeted out saying, you know, Script Sports is not involved with the Pac-12 negotiations. And people are going, huh? Well, what you're seeing here is you're seeing two different reporters, both with a national platform. One of them probably has got somebody in his ear, McMurphy, some source, some person in his ear whispering, uh, and look, you can only you're only as good as your sources sometimes as a reporter. But somebody's in his ear, feeding him information that I think is making the Pac-12 look bad. And Stuart Mandel ran it down today fairly quickly and went nothing to it. It's the same thing as a couple weeks ago when McMurphy came out and said, um, "Look, uh, CBS and Turner have withdrawn from the Pac-12 negotiations per a source." Like we all knew that CBS and Turner were not part of the negotiations and haven't been since almost the beginning. They were not. They were never kicking the tires. They were never interested, really, in the Pac-12 rights. So there's like you have to sit back at twenty thousand feet and go, okay, like why is this information out there? Why are two credible reporters both giving uh, you know conflicting reports on this the obscure network that nobody's even heard of? that is, you know, potentially talking to the Pac-12. But the reason is there's some motivated party that is getting in the ear of national media members that's trying to make the Pac-12 look bad. And I think the Pac-12 is making mistakes. They're making PR 101 mistakes because they're letting other people, um, you know, tell their story. They should be refuting some of this themselves. They should be stronger. They should be more vocal. They should channel a little Brett Yormark, the salesman, and get out and talk about it. But they're not. But I'm just saying, you kind of, kind of back up and go, okay, what is the motivation here? And that's why I'm telling, like I tell you that on this show, in adjohnconzano.com, I'm going to give you sourced, in-depth information and reporting and commentary you can't get anywhere else. And I mean that in that I am not here for the Pac-12. 
I am not here for the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC. I'm not here for anybody but you, the listener, and you, the reader. That's who I serve. The dog in the fight for me is let's cut through the crap. Let's report what we can verify. Uh, when everybody was like, the Pac-12's imploding, imminent demise, Oregon and Washington leaving, four-corner schools leaving, the whole time I have been consistent with my message, and it's not me saying it. It's that I'm talking to presidents and chancellors, and I'm talking to athletic directors, and I'm talking to people in the media world, and I'm talking to people in the conference office who are all saying the same damn thing. Oregon and Washington aren't going anywhere. There's nowhere for them to go, and the four-corner schools aren't going anywhere. Pac-12 is going to get a deal. It'll all be fine. I've been saying that since the beginning, and you know that if you listen to the show and you read me. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a great young athlete at the University of Oregon. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Jamba Juice, uh, great opportunity uh, for you if you are a if you're a Jamba fan. You remember the segments we did in football season with Jaden Grant. Jamba Juice now uh, is entering the world of college basketball, and our next guest likes Jamba as much as anybody else. Chance Gray, University of Oregon women's basketball player. They're fresh off a big win over Arizona last night. Uh, we Talked about this with Kelly Graves earlier in the week. There's some BFT karma going on here. Chance Gray joining us now. Chance, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Uh, give us an idea. The Arizona game, uh, you guys really needed a win. You got one. What went right for you guys? Um, everything went right. We just played our basketball. We were patient, executed our game plan. Our coaches did a good job setting us up, um, tweaking a little bit, made some changes during the week, and it, worked out in our favor. We controlled the game the whole uh, time. That, that's got to feel fun for you guys because I know that it had kind of been really inconsistent. There had been some struggles, and, you know, you might show up at the arena feeling good and then things didn't go as planned. How early in the mm-hmm. game did you just, did like, did, was the comfort there from the beginning? Uh, yeah. I, we had a good practice. All, we had a great shoot around. We were locked in. We knew that. It, all it took was one game to get over the hump, and it was coming, and it just clicked all last night, and it felt so good. Everybody contributed. Everybody played their roles and did what we needed to do to pull out the win. You uh, you decided to come to the University of Oregon, a big-time recruit, and for people who don't know Chance, uh, Chance's father, Carlton, played football at UCLA, played in the NFL with the Seahawks, among other teams. But, you know, you made the trip from Ohio all the way to Eugene. Why Why Eugene? Why the Ducks? Um, it was honestly relationships. Um, I was between UCLA, obviously, um, family matters there, and then came here with Oregon, and it felt comfortable. My mom felt really comfortable here just with Mary and Kelly. They made me feel like it was home here away from all the way from Ohio, so that was kind of what settled the deal. Last night's game, you get Arizona, and you beat them good. 73-59 was the score last night. People didn't see it. But, you know, you guys are, are still in the hunt for the NCAA tournament berth. What would that mean for you guys to get in that tournament? Um, we're honestly just taking it one game at a time, um, keep getting better every game, using that game as a springboard to kind of 
get us going and get us on a roll. And I believe in our team and I have all the confidence in the world so we can do anything that we lock in and put our minds to. I saw your dad tweeted, great drive, got to finish the reverse. He's doing some co He's doing some social media coaching. Yeah, always. He's always coaching. After the game, he was sending me his comments and what I needed to prove on. And, yeah, he's always coaching no matter what, no matter if he's the coach or not. You guys uh, will get uh, a shot at the Pac-12 tournament next week, but you still got a game coming up this weekend. Uh, how are you feeling mm -hmm. about go going to Vegas? What have you heard as a freshman, you probably haven't, you know, haven't been there in person to see this event, but it's uh, it's kind of a free for all once you get there. But you've been in tournaments your whole life. Yeah, um, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to a new experience. Um, I'm going to have a lot of family there, my older sister, my grandparents. So I'm just happy to be able to play in front of them. They haven't seen me play um, in Oregon yet on my mom's side, so I'm just excited and just ready to get some wins. Yeah, you know, I have three daughters, and you know, I think I told you this off air that I'm I'm bringing the younger two daughters to Vegas because I want them yeah. to see you guys play. I want them to see good women's basketball. I want them to see Stanford, Arizona, you guys. Uh, and you know, what what exposure did you have as a kid to women's college basketball, or did you watch much? Um, I watched a lot. Um, the older I got, the more I watched. Just. I love watching women's college basketball because it's great basketball. It's system like everybody plays good and to their levels. So that's what I grew up watching. And I also had an older sister who played as well So um, in college. So that's kind of what I grew up doing and watching. I was always in the basketball world no matter what. Yeah, give me an idea of, uh, you know, older sister, younger sister dynamic. How much better does it make you to have an older sister who played the game? Um. She's just been where I always wanted to go, so I always had good advice from her growing up and was able to give me um, just good advice just to how to keep pushing and growing and being the best player and person off the court I can be. The uh, the 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 weather that we're having out here in, in our area, we, we had no school today. The schools shut down, Chance. There was no snow <laughs> overnight, but there was snow yesterday, and there's a little ice and a little bit of snow on the ground. I have yeah. to ask a kid from Ohio, what do you think of uh, what do you think of us? How soft are we? Um, maybe just a little. <laughs> um, back home, we literally actually have snowstorms. Like coming back home from Christmas, my um, flight was literally canceled just out of the snowstorms and all of that weather. My welcome home was a snowstorm, so it's really not much for me. Uh, weather here is pretty nice compared to home. Um, I thought my mom's flight was going to get canceled, but she was able to make it out here. So I'm glad that my family is still able to make it, make it out here and watch this last weekend of our home games. You, you were the second highest ranked recruit in Oregon's program history, right behind Sabrina Ionescu. Mm -hmm. What does Sabrina's impact do for the Oregon program even today? And how much do you see Sabrina? How much is she around as in her role now uh, with the program? Um, she's around a lot, just here for us, even though she travels a lot and does a lot of things, she's still here. Just a text and a call away. Anytime you need something, she's there for us. Um, I know I've talked to her. She's talked to me. We've had great conversations, just how to be a better player, how to be a better leader. So um, I've talked to her, and she'll always forever carry a legacy here that um, I don't think a lot of people will be able to touch. 
Chance Gray is our guest, uh, Oregon women's basketball player. They're coming off a big win over Arizona. Uh, this weekend you will get a shot at Arizona State. What do you know about them? Uh, what have you seen on film? And uh, obviously you've played them already. Uh, we have played them. They're very fast, up-tempo team. Um, so we just got to get out, play our game. They're coming off a good win for themselves as well. So they're going to be out here pushing and trying to get another dub. So hopefully we can just shut them down and kind of play our basketball how we did last night. Now this segment is uh, brought to you by Jamba Juice. I know you're a Jamba fan. What's your go-to drink if you're in Jamba? Um, I get like a series of different drinks. Um, I don't even remember the exact name of the one I get because my coaches have always ordered it for me. But I'm going to try to go in and switch it up and try new drinks when I go in. All right. We're gonna bring, I want to bring you on every week. And we'll bring you on and you give us your, go, your Jamba recommendation. We used to get that from Jaden Grant. Because you know what happens, Chance, is Jamba listens to the show and all of a sudden they go, hey, uh, we'll, we'll name a drink after Chance Gray. And that's, and that's making Ooh, I like it. that. You know, <laughs> when your friends go into Jamba, they'll go, oh, I'll take the chance, Gray. Uh, look, good luck to you on Saturday. Uh, I look forward to seeing what you guys do. And, of course, I'll see you in Vegas at the at the Women's Pac-12 tournament next week. Chance, uh, appreciate you making time for us. But before I let you go, I got to know, like, your dad's football experience, were you as a kid around the game? Were you watching the game? Uh, you know, or was dad more – inclined to maybe be at the gym watching you play basketball oh he was always around he's been my coach but he was also a football coach as well so i was always on the field um my babysitters were literally watching me on the sidelines so i've been around football um i was a football kid for a while but he was always in the basketball area as well so he's always there never really missed many games did you get into the ducks football season did you go to the games did you watch them yeah, I did, actually. When we had recruits and then um, I dated a football player, so I was at the games a lot as well. Love it. Chance Gray, thanks for uh, letting us get to know you a little bit, and we'll catch you uh, next week. Why don't we have you on in front of the tournament, and we can talk a little more about wh what you guys are feeling and what your expectations are. Okay, sounds good. I love that. Have a great right. week. Yeah, you too. Chance Gray, there she is. That interview, courtesy of Jamba Juice. Jamba. Life is better blended. I love that. How about that, Judah Newby? Seahawk. She's the daughter of a Seahawk. They, you know, Carlton Gray was picked in the second round of the draft. I think it was 96 or so. Played a couple few years with the Seahawks. Kicked around with some other NFL teams. But, um, you know, it's kind of a Seahawks theme. She is welcome on the show anytime. See that? <laughs> he, he was also with the Colts, the Giants, the Chiefs, and the Bengals. So uh, people may remember him at UCLA. He was a first-team uh, All-Pac-10 player. I mean, obviously, he was the 30th pick in the draft, four-year starter for UCLA, and a pretty good follow on social media. But he's, he's literally coaching his daughter via Twitter, saying, you got to finish on that reverse. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know who he's tweeting to because she's playing the game. That's a second but, uh, UCLA love, too, with uh, your Cade McNown drop from her. I know. Which is phenomenal. Didn't Cade McNown oh, play his high school senior year at West Lynn High School? That is correct, as far as uh, I remember, yes. Because I remember, you know where he went before West Lynn High School? Mm -mm. Hollister Haybalers of the Monterey Bay League. <laughs> and I only know the Hollister Haybalers because 
they were one of the rivals of my high school in Gilroy, the garlic capital of the mm. world. They would go, go Baylors! And when Cade McNown transferred as a senior, uh, we weren't complaining. You know, that wasn't a bad thing. Yeah, it looks like his uh, Wikipedia.com page uh, has him at uh, San Benito in Hollister, it, California. San Benito yeah. High? I don't know. That's that's, that's, that's Hollister High. He Hollister didn't take, High. He, he didn't want to have the go Baylors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, came to Westland as a senior, um, yeah. though he was born in Portland, Oregon. There you go. One of ours. That's why you come to the show. One of ours. God, I loved I loved Kate McNown coming out though. The lefty, like buddy yeah. of mine was lefty as well. Like and he was it, man. We were so fired up and then I what did you go to Chicago out of the gate? Yeah. And twelfth uh, overall pick out of UCLA in ninety nine and just fell on his face, man. That that was tough. It was hard I mean it's hard too because you get to the NFL and if you don't like very quickly, the teams will move on if you don't, if you can't serve them, they'll move on. Michael James found that out too, and I think it's hard for for players. But also, I watched him in that training camp where I saw him with the Niners. He was having a hard time throwing a spiral, and his like the ball wasn't coming out of his hands good. And I think sometimes there's so much going on. You're learning a playbook. There's so much. You're worried about footwork. You're worried about the coaches watching you, and you you know you forget some of the things that helped get you there. And I think Cade McNown and a lot of other players have probably suffered from similar circumstances. Good stuff. Uh, loved having her on the show. We'll get her back. I mean that. Uh, Chance Gray. Uh, courtesy of Jamba Juice, that interview. Leave it here. you got the BFT. Our big splash is next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Major League Baseball spring training officially began today with two games. Spring training is going to be messy. It's, uh, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about a pitch clock. We're talking about um, defensive shift changes. We're talking about a limitation on pickoff moves, larger bases. All of that on display for the first time today. All 30 teams are scheduled to play tomorrow. But uh, the test drive today, the Padres and Mariners had the first infraction or first violation in a spring training game of new rules, and it is the subject of our big splash. We bring it every day to you. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. San Diego Padres star Manny Machado committed the first pitch clock violation in the spring training game. He was penalized a strike because he was not set and facing the pitcher in the batter's box when the pitch clock reached eight seconds. He was facing Robbie Ray of the Mariners. One of two games today that served as a trial run for Major League Baseball's rules overhaul. Machado started the at-bat with his right foot in the batter's box. He had not brought his left foot inside the batter's box when the clock, which is prominently featured behind the batter and over the outfield fence, wound down to eight seconds. Home plate umpire Ryan Blakeney called timeout, pointed to his wrist, not Dame time, 
but a signal for a clock violation, and he announced it was 0-1. Uh, that's the count. Manny Machado then singled on the first pitch or the next pitch. I don't know how to say it. Well, he, he singled nonetheless. Uh, under the new rules, pitchers have 15 seconds to start their delivery when the bases are empty. They have 20 seconds with a runner on base, and they're given an automatic ball if the clock expires. The hitter has to be set and facing the pitcher in the batter's box when the clock hits eight seconds or they're given a strike. I don't know about you guys. Let me just outline this. Full suite of changes here. Ban on shift, limitation on pickoff moves, larger bases, pitch clock. Which of these things is going to be the most difficult adjustment for teams? Ooh, that's a great question. I think it's going to be the uh, the hitters. Uh, the eight-second clock, I think, is a big adjustment. I mean, long gone are the days of Nomar Garcia-Para just endlessly adjusting his batting gloves. I think the pitchers, once you get in a rhythm, you can go quicker. You just got to force yourself to do it. But you're able to get in that rhythm if you're throwing 80, 90, not so much 100 times a, a game anymore. Uh, the shift, I mean, it just is what it is, so they're not allowed to do it. But, I, I mean, I'm all for the changes, and even all of them at once. I know it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. I think you're right. Spring training is going to be a mess. But I think the intended result is going to come. It's going to be a lot more like baseball that I grew up enjoying. Feels like a whole new sport in, yeah. in some ways. I, I got old say, sport. I did not need these changes because I, I'm fine with baseball. You know, if the, the baseball needed to make changes for the casual fan, for the fan that was like, "Oh my god, it's too long. I don't have the time. It's so boring. Only old people watch it." Yeah, you know, that was not me. I love baseball for what baseball is and for what it's always been to me. I did not need these changes to take place, and yet, like Peter said. I'm fine with them taking place. You know, hopefully it expands the popularity. They're not doing it for me, though. They might be doing it for other people in my, you know, demo, but they're not doing it for me individually. I didn't need them to happen. I they're 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 able to shave 25 minutes off the game times in major league, minor league baseball when they use this same pitch clock. So they're saying they're going to cut down game times by about 25 to 30 minutes, which is cool. But I always felt like it was just incumbent upon the home plate umpire to get everybody moving to tell the batter to get in the box because the umpire had the authority for a hitter who was outside the box to say pitch the ball and even if you're not in the box we're going to call a ball or strike here and I think the umpires should have just been given that authority instead of the pitch clock because I feel like the pitch clock is going to be the biggest most notable thing because it happens with every pitch like there goes the clock and it reaches everybody's going to be looking at the clock going 15 14 13 oh new pitch 15 14 13 and we're going to do this every time but I think the bigger impact on the game is going to be that rule with the limited pickoff moves because I think once a pitcher throws over twice, you now can't throw over without picking off the runner. Otherwise, there's a penalty. So I think once a pitcher is thrown to a base twice, you're going to see the runners running because now that guy can't throw over unless he gets you. So I think there's a little bit of gamesmanship there. I think we're going to notice the pitch clock more, but I think that pickoff thing is going to get a little bit squirrely at different times during the season. You're going to see teams just go, all right, uh, now runner at first and third. We're going to run a little league play. 
and we're going to steal second base. Like, I, I just think you're going to see some of that. I mean, especially with the, the bigger bases, four and a half second or four and a half inches shorter distance between the bags. I don't think it's just going to change the game. I think it's the point where it'll be like back in the 80s where that final roster spot is going to go to some speedster that can't do anything but pinch run. I, I'm telling you, it's going to take baseball back to the 80s. You'll still, still have some power hitters, but the really incentivizing contact and movement. I love it. Four and a half inches? Yeah, four and a half inches. Think how many bang bang, you know, Dude, thrown out at second. That's massive. We know. Four and a half, that, that is massive. I think uh we'll have to it's talk gonna, about that more if we want. The bang bang plays are going to be a thing. <laughs> but I also think there's something about I think that four and a half inches is gonna change a little bit where maybe the shortstop and the second baseman position themselves with a like a fast run, like Kenny Lofton back in the day for the Braves hated him because the guy could hit what was arguably a slow ground ball to shortstop and give you a problem. So what did the shortstop have to do? The shortstop had to charge every ground ball or play shallow, and it allowed Kenny Lofton to to uh, you know, hit some ground balls between third and short and up the middle that the shortstop would have normally got. I think with that four and a half inches, I'll be curious to see if that gives the leadoff hitters a half a step on a routine ground ball, if that causes the infielders to have to play a little differently on a, on a fast runner. I don't know. Well, I don't know Peter's if that's enough. Point, it's going to help contact, you know, which I think is great. Now, I do want to see more contact in the game and less yeah. strikeouts. So if that's a byproduct, then uh, that's a good result as well. I just think they can, they can, they can jimmy jack around with the mound is too. I mean, they did it with Bob Gibson in, in, in the sixties where they said, good, man, Bob, he's too good. Yeah. They said too good. We need to lower the mound. Why not just make it flat? You know, and let's see Ooh. what happens. Oh, uh, you talk. You think you have pitchers with arm problems yeah. now? Take away all the drive from their legs. <laughs> just Tyler Glasnow blow out his elbow like four more times in the next year. I just draft a softball pitcher first <laughs> and uh, get Harrow in there. Because how about this one to too? How about a limit on the number of pitchers you can use in a game? Yes, I love that. I love it. Yeah, and that's coming from. So I used to love Tony Larusa, but I mean, come <laughs> on, dude. <laughs> I think one of the biggest slowdowns, one of the biggest slowdowns we've seen in the modern game, I think, is a result of teams going, all right, you're going to face lefties, going to come in and face one hitter. Okay, you're out. Now you come in and you face one hitter. Now you're out. And they're warming up a new pitcher between, you know, two batters, three batters. Yeah, definitely. And I know they minimize that some where you have to face a minimum of hitters, but it's still, it's it's all too many changes. Too many changes. Like to see that. Um, There we go. We'll get this game fixed. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Dan Ryan. He is a city commissioner in Portland. We're going to talk about the Blazers. We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, what a city leader can do when it comes to sports. What's the status or the state of the Blazers' lease? Um, You know, is, is the city involved in, you know, potentially bringing Major League Baseball? B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Dan Ryan is a city commissioner in the city of Portland. It's also a sports fan. And look, I pay attention to City Hall. 
I pay attention to the state capitol. Not because I'm into politics or I like a good fight. I Look, I'm into it because I care about our cities. I care about our state. I care about sports, and I always try to figure out, like, how important is sports to some of the leaders in our cities and in our states? Dan Ryan making his inaugural appearance on this show. You know him from Portland City politics. You're going to get to know him a little bit as a sports fan, and I've got questions for him in and around all that stuff, and he uh, joins us now. Did you, did you guys, Dan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on, John. You bet, Thanks. man. I, I, I love doing this kind of stuff because I think it, it, it's, there's an intersection with leadership and politics and sports that is natural, and I'm sure you guys talk sports uh, you know, in the office or, or between meetings and whatnot, and sometimes we talk politics on this show, so there's some synergy there. I appreciate you giving us your time. Um, let's let's just start in general, like with your background and your love of sports. Uh, you know, what are we talking about? Who did you root for as a kid? Yeah, well, really, I was born into it. I'm the youngest of eight, and I have seven older brothers, and so I I kind of just dialed in because I wanted to fit in and maybe have less bullying by my older brothers. So that's kind of how it all started. And uh, the you remember the Portland Journal? It was a paper that came out in the afternoon. And I always wanted to grab that before anyone else in the family did. I wanted to get the sports page because that was the most popular part of the paper. And I loved reading George Passero. And uh, he just did such a great job of, of not telling stories about uh, why sports, I think, attracts a lot of us. It's, of course, you care about your teams and you want to win. But it's those stories of, like, grit and resilience. And you get to know the players better when you read columns. And of course, later on, Dwight James, and i got to admit, I'm not just trying to butter you up here than reading your column in the Oregonian. So I think the newspaper columnist locally, and then as a family, we were on the professional side, Blazers, and we had Timbers season tickets in the 70s. Um, there were the Buckaroos uh, were big, in our, we used to go to those games, and the Portland Beavers. In college, it was my dad uh, went to Uvo Dental School, so we were Duck fans by birth. Um, but we also were told to root for the Beavers until they played the Ducks, because that's kind of how you were raised. And then locally, the Pilots, um, my mom went to University of Portland, and of course, PSU. And high school, I'll have to say, I went to Roosevelt High School, so I still like to get out to a Friday Night Lights game there in North Portland. Man, and, you know- uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a life of um, joy and passion and heartbreak as a local sports fan, for sure. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the Ryan household, I mean, you had everything covered. Like, you know, you guys had, you guys basically had every school covered and every rooting allegiance covered. And, you know, this has been a frustrating season for the Blazers. Um, you know, when, when we went to book you on the show, I think it was right around the trade deadline. And, you know, a lot of fans were frustrated. How are you feeling about the Blazers? Well, as a Blazer fan, Dan the fan, it's been rough, um, especially of late. I think um, I was... I, I will just say that, you know, watching the new owners at Phoenix make those boss move deals by getting Kevin Durant to join Chris Paul, uh, you know, I think a lot of us didn't want some more base hits that, you know, were kind of uh, important to do uh, on up in terms of, like, assets and kind of the business line, but they were base hits, and it's hard to see how our team's going to get better in the short term, and I think a lot of us are just concerned because Damon Lillard is an amazing generational asset, and I think what, you know, Dwayne Wade did and 
granted it was Miami, Florida uh, back in the day, I think Damian has that, that cred and he could really help the Blazers bring in some all-stars. And I think a lot of us are getting impatient wanting to see that happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's tough to watch a team that you know, doesn't have – you know, an ownership group that's there, and there's a lot of questions about the Blazers' ownership group. But I'm always interested in the city, too, because Dan the Fan, you mentioned Dan the Fan, and then there's Dan the city commissioner who's involved in city leadership. Um, the Blazers' lease comes up a lot on this show. Do you? Is there an update? Can you share us anything? Is this something that is talked about among the commissioners? And what's the status of that lease? Well, the, the, what we know is that the, everyone's at the table doing in good faith. The commissioners aren't involved at the moment. It's, a, it's more the, 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 front, uh, the front office of the Blazers and the people that manage our contracts. But I know everyone's working in good faith to, to land it because we really, need, we really need that asset for our city, the Rose Quarter facility. You know, that's, that's a major venue of activation. And we think all of us are rooting for Portland to come back, and we know that activation is a big part of it, and sports and arts you know, give you the biggest pulse of energy when it comes to the streets being activated. So, um, yeah, I think it, I think I just know that they're all negotiating in good faith. They're all having good conversations, and and Dan Dan the commissioner is definitely supportive of, of of being supportive of that process. Yeah, you were viewed. I know when you were running, I had people tell me that you know, keep an eye on Dan Ryan, and there were a few others as well because. He, uh, he understands how sports can help a city, can help a region. How do you view the role of the sports franchises in that ecosystem? Well, it's critical. Uh, we, we, we know that uh, if, you, if you care about sports, which, of course, we do in this conversation, we just love it because it's, it's one of the few things that really brings everybody together anymore. It also gives you a legitimate opportunity to go out and just, like, be crazy as a fan and, like, scream in public and get by with it. And so I just love how I see so many different types of uh, people that I know in my work that don't usually get along on some issues when they're at a with the Moda Center reading for the Blazers are all on the same page. So it's, it's really important just for the, the soul of the city. But it also is the, one of the biggest economic drivers. So if you care about the economy, the long-term economy of our city, prosperity for our city going forward, and you really want Portland to be a major league city, which this lifelong Portlander wants that to happen in an, in an increasing fashion, um, you know that you're supportive of the sports economy. And the, I, always, yeah. I always tie in the arts as well, John, because those were the two things that I focus on the most in terms of um, activities. Dan Ryan, Portland City Commissioner, is our guest. You know, there have been different efforts, Major League Baseball to Portland, other things that have come up over the years, and I haven't always felt like there was a lot of interest in it from City Hall. You know, can you speak to that a little bit? You've been around here. You've seen, you know, even when Vera Katz was talking about bringing the Expos to Portland, it, you know, it, it was nice to hear somebody in a leadership position go, hey, I want this, um, but there are bigger problems, and I understand that, you know, there's homelessness, there's, uh, you've got things on your plate on a daily basis that probably feel bigger than sports. Yeah, they're, they're all important, though, and we know that if we if we look at the, the near-term and the long-term future of our city, uh, and I want us to be a major league city, we have to protect the current franchises we have. Of course, we have the Blazers, but we really want to see that, that WNBA franchise come back. I mean, we're known as the city that's the most sports-friendly to, to women's athletics. In fact, we have the only uh, bar, a sports bar, that focuses 
specifically on women's sports. It's a sports bra, it's called. I'm sure you've been there. And it's important for us to just really own that. But in addition, I think it's awesome that we have the Timbers and the Thorns continually lead the league in enthusiasm and attendance with the Thorns. And I think it's really important for us to keep visioning what else we can bring. So that means bringing that infrastructure so that we can someday be a major league city also in baseball. Does, is there a pushback against that? Because sometimes, like a city like Vegas, I feel like if Portland gets into a one-on-one battle with Vegas for a major league baseball team, it's a mismatch because, you know, in Vegas they'll put the shovel in the ground. They'll get they'll say, we'll build it. There's a lot of public support to build stadiums. In Portland, I don't think we have that. There's, there's a, an allergy to that. Where do you stand on public versus private financing on stadium projects and that? In, in teams? It'd be a multi-sector approach. Um, I think it's really important that we not uh, focus on what we think we are but have a new narrative on that. I believe that a lot of communities are supportive of the expansion of sports and I, I think there's opposition, John, to everything you do at City Hall. So you just have to be, you know, have to be tough enough to take the punches and keep doing what's right for the long term. Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan with us here on the show. Um, look, uh, Blazers, should they be tanking Dan Ryan? Like, let's talk to Dan the fan. Victor Wembanyama in the draft. Blazers say they're not tanking. What, what's your vote as a fan? Oh, God. Um, I want to <laughs> say that I don't know if I can take two years in a row of tanking, so I, I'm having indigestion with that thought. Um, but after watching us, lose last night to Sacramento. I mean, how many times this season of late have you get excited after the first quarter and then you just dread to look at the, the score a little bit later? So, you know, we clearly um, we clearly need some bigs right now. <laughs> Having Nurk out for a while has, has been pretty devastating. And uh, so I, I'm not, I'm, I don't know yet. I, I, I'm mixed right now on if that's a good idea. I never think it's a good idea for the long term. I yeah, think we need to see some. I think, I think we need to see some boss moves when it comes to a trade in the next year. Yeah, I like to see a little more splash. You know, do you miss Bob Witsit? Uh, the the feeling that you know Trader Bob could do something uh, to to mix things up on a given day. I'm smiling because I lived in Seattle for nine years, and I uh, Ginger Ackerley was one of my bosses, if you will. She's a, a board leader at the Pacific Science Center, and so I got inside a little bit of the Sonics, and he was fascinating then. Um, you know, there was a little ADD at times, but um, there was um, some chemistry equations, like a mad scientist that would come together with him. So, you know, I'll take that over um, nothing. So, yeah, I think we need to go bold. Give me an idea, you know, and I kind of I, – I was hunting around this – topic, but what can a city do to help support, um, you know, a pro sports team coming to here? And I'm talking specifically about Major League Baseball. What can the city do? How involved can the city be? Or does it take more of a private effort and then the city plays a complementary role? How do you see that? I think it's, it's always, we have to be additive. And I think that the reputation at times is that politically we're not supportive of sports and I I don't think that's true obviously I wouldn't be on your show right now and I think we have definitely a current city council that's enthusiastic about bringing activation back to our city and of course that includes sports so I think just the perception uh, can be improved that that we are actually a, a city local government that's supportive of sports Dan Ryan with us Portland City Commissioner all right um but before I cut you loose, favorite Blazer player of all time, Dan Ryan? 
Oh, that's, you know what? Right now it's Bill Walton because I just, I know he's controversial when he does play-by-play or whatever he's doing, but it's so entertaining to me to watch him, you know, do the Conference of Champions play-by-play. So at the moment, I, I Bill, but I gotta say it's always going to be Maurice Lucas because his locker was near mine at Lloyd Athletic Club, and I had chances to have dialogue with Maurice, and so that's it. But on a day when we're mourning the loss of Dottie, I thought your wow. article was really beautiful yeah. this morning. Um, you know, the blazer of all time is always the Shans. I mean, that's the voice that, as a little kid, uh, listening to him on the radio when I was supposed to be asleep with my little transistor radio, you know, he just, uh, he's, he's always going to be in my heart. So thinking about Dottie passing today um, yeah. to join you know, is, is probably uh, what I wanted to mention. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, we always see this and I, I, I didn't, I'd always thought about this, my, even my own grandparents. When my grandmother passed away, we really were worried about my grandfather in the wake of her passing because, you know, we go, okay, will he rally here or will he do what a lot of elderly people do? And, you know, it's 66% more likely to pass away in the first three months after your spouse goes when you are a senior citizen. Dottie made it only 33 days after, after Bill, and, and I don't think people were surprised. They were always together. They were always around each other, and even at his funeral, Dan, she had her wheelchair. She wanted to be close to that casket, and you know they wheeled her right up next to it. And, and I just and her hair was perfect, right? <laughs> yep, she was Im- impeccably yeah. <laughs> dressed, just perfect <laughs> as she always was. So yeah, um, there's that. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. And uh, I didn't. I just knew anecdotally in my life I I experienced that, but the fact that you did some research and came up with that figure wasn't surprising at all. Anyway, I'm glad you lifted that story. I know I have to go soon, but I, yeah. I hope when I come back sometime we could talk about um, the connection between our parks and our families and getting people started at the early ages. I know you have uh, girls that have obviously been playing yep. sports. Um, you, you're a parent that spends time in fields and courts, I assume, and so it would be great to talk about that, right, trying to recruit some swim coaches because we definitely are in desperate need of those this summer. And, you know, March Madness is coming up, so we all know there's the High Holy Holidays coming up in the first two days of the tournament. Yeah, you got that. Uh, Dan, I appreciate you giving us your time and, uh, and letting us get to know you a little bit. We'll bring you back on. Thank you. Sounds good, John. Thanks for having me. Take care. Go Blazers. You bet. All right, there he is, Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan. Let's unpack that coming up. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Blazers negotiating in good faith. Uh, The city's role when it comes to bringing sports franchises to Oregon and to Portland specifically, what role can they play? I think they can do better. Uh, Look at some of the, the cities that land expansion franchises, the cities that lure in franchises from other cities uh they have their act together they're motivated they're locked in portland hasn't felt that way in recent years and maybe ever i want to talk about it coming up and i want your phone calls i I appreciate dan ryan joining us it's not often we get a city commissioner on the show we've had a couple of mayors on the show but i want your phone calls 503-417-7575 Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Now, I'll get back to writing about the Pac 12, but I've been on a little bit of a blazer bent in the last couple of days. I wrote a couple of days ago about the Taylor family, JT Taylor 
and his kids encountered them years ago, 2006. And uh, if you want to read that, you can read it at johnconzano.com. And then uh, overnight last night, it was sad. I, it was sad that Dottie Shonley, the wife of Bill Shonley, passed away at the age of 92. Um, Bill, as we know, the Shans, died 33 days ago, and Dottie followed him last night. And uh, I wrote about it this morning. And like I said in the interview with Commissioner Dan Ryan there, um, it was, uh, I guess, not shocking. Because anybody who's watched and seen uh, an elderly person lose their spouse knows that there's an effect that goes in on there. And in fact, uh, the University of Michigan originally studied it. It was called the widow, widowhood effect. And Harvard University more recently uh, launched a study into it where they tracked tens of thousands of elderly married couples. And they learned that widows have a 66% increased chance of dying in the first three months after losing a spouse. And... You know, we're all aware of it anecdotally. My grandmother died, and I can remember us being really worried about my grandpa, and he struggled because she so much was part of his life. He was her caretaker. He would drive her around. It gave him a sense of purpose. It gave him some meaning. It was social. It was He had some company, and now he was going to be alone with his grief and his loss. And he rallied, but it was dicey. He rallied only because he found the senior center, and he found other purpose and other interaction with friends. And I think if he didn't have the senior center, I don't think he would have made it very much longer after my grandmother. But uh, that widowhood effect was in full force. Dottie made it 33 days without Bill. And, you know, we talked about the Shans a lot, but Dottie was always there off to the side, kind of in the shadow. And she was happy to be there. But I learned a lot about Dottie in the last couple of years. Dottie loved to garden, for example. She was a musician. She played the church organ. Her father was a pastor, died when she was just four months old. Her mother was left alone with two children. Dottie had an older brother in Pennsylvania. And the mother made ends meet by taking a job at a funeral home, and they lived in an apartment that was above the funeral home. And Bill Shonley and Dottie Shonley did not... Uh, get married out of high school, but they were high school sweethearts in the 1940s in Pennsylvania at Norristown High School. She was a year behind him in school. Bill, as we all know, graduated high school, joined the Marines, left to see the world, then became a broadcaster in baseball and hockey and basketball and other things. Then he got married and he had kids in Seattle, and then he got divorced. And then Harry Glickman found him and made him the voice of the Blazers, 1970. But it was a few weeks before his 40th high school reunion that he found himself thinking about Dottie, his old flame. He surprised her with a phone call, dialed her up. She picked up. And he said, you don't know who this is, do you? And she says, how can I ever forget that sexy voice? Now, he didn't do his voice very well. They got married four years later, 1991. Um... I wrote this today. You can read all about Dottie and Bill, johnconzano.com. But, it, you know, people are going to say she died from old age. She's 92. I think she died from a broken heart. I, I think there's there's so much evidence of that, and we know that. 
Let's go to the phone lines. Pat's on McLaughlin Boulevard. Pat, how's the traffic? Nothing, uh, John. It's like it <laughs> reminds me almost of the uh, of COVID out here. Nothing. There's only a few cars. Crazy. Well, what's on your mind? I love that. It's like a Star Trek episode. You're out there. You're driving around. Nobody, nobody's out there. Yeah. You know, John, I, um, the Taylor family, I, I think it's the best. Uh, I've been reading your stuff till you, since you got here, reading your, um, you know, your columns. And that that story about that family, about that guy, gave me a gut punch. And a couple years ago, you actually talked about it out of, out of nowhere on, uh, on the air. I said, boy, would I like to talk to John about that that family because that was a credible, uh, you know, heartening, you know, a story about about a father that loves his family, you know, with almost nothing, just just amazingly, and and that I remember in the article you wrote it way back in '06, you said you knew that he wasn't doing it because of who you were. Because he started playing with his kids when you drove away, and you yep. knew he couldn't see you. Yep. We watched and, it in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, um, reposting that, you know, that that story again, I think would be a good idea, John, because that guy not only was an incredible family man, but a, but a big Blazer fan, which I'm not. But uh, you know, he just wanted to make things work for his family, and, and then it was very heartening when. You wrote a column later, not very long after that, that a lot of people had stepped up to help him and his family. And uh, I, I tell you, I, I think I, I shed some tears over it. I and did too. Uh, I just want to thank you for that article because I think about it all the time. And a couple of years ago, when you brought it up again, I, I was, you know, my I was glued to the uh, radio again because it, that that was an amazing story about that family and that guy. And uh, I really appreciate the update, John. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for uh, for saying that. And look, I mean, I uh, uh, for people who don't know, you can re- you can read the story. I did an update 16 years later, yesterday at johnconzano.com. But really, the story is about a dad and his three kids. He had two girls, eight, eleven, and a boy, six. And his wife, JT's wife, Roxanne, had a blood disorder and she died and it sucked and the kids lost their mom and JT lost his wife and the bills piled up and the rent was late and the I mean it was scary scary stuff and he took a job delivering the newspaper in the middle of the night and he would pile the kids into the car and they would be half asleep and he would deliver in what was called felony flats, 112 addresses. He'd have to deliver the paper. He was making minimum wage. He was on food stamps, and um, you know the Blazers were their escape. They weren't. They they could not afford to go to the games, obviously, but they were listening on the radio. And I wrote about him, and people did step up. And the thing that crushed me, two things got me. One was when the dad told me. I said to him that day in '06 when I met him. Uh, the dad said to me, I said, how do you cope? How do you cope? Like, cause he stayed so strong for the kids. And he said that he would go into the closet and he'd bring a pillow and he would cry into the pillow. You want anybody to hear him? And then 
the other thing that got me was, as the caller pointed out, I left the house, and what struck me was how joyful they were. The kids and the dad. Everybody was so joyful. And I'm sorry, I had to cough. And then uh, as I pulled away, I had to pull over down the street because I was crying. And I thought to myself, uh, how could I ever feel like I'm having a bad day? How could any of us, after seeing that? The 11-year-old was making dinner. She was at the stove, and she was cooking ramen noodles. And she was, had, at 11 years old, had stepped into the role of mother. And it was Jade and Josie were the two girls, and it was Peyton, the 6-year-old. And I thought to myself, how heavy must that feel for an 11-year-old little girl? How hard must that be? And how joyful they were. And I had to pull over down the street and compose myself. So I pulled about half a block down the street and I pulled over because I didn't want anybody to see me. And I was in the car and I was crying. And I looked into the rearview mirror and they came out of the house. They thought I was gone. And they had their baseball gloves on and they played catch. And they were smiling and the ball was flying back and forth, and it was a dad and his three kids, and you would have thought they were the happiest family in the state of Oregon. And I wrote the column, and so many readers reached out and put their arms around that family, and here they are 16 years later. Has it all been perfect? No, it's been some hard times. JT told me yesterday, he said, you know, there's been there have been some hiccups. There have been some hard times. But those three kids are grown up now. They all have children of their own. They uh, are working and living and doing their best. And that can't be easy when you lose your mom when you, you know, you're you 8 or 11 or 6. Can't be easy. And people who have lost parents out there, you, you're probably nodding your head. Um, but I just, I'm inspired by, A, the family and the positive steps that they have taken and B, the reaction from readers like that caller on McLaughlin Boulevard. Um, good stuff. I got more people holding. We'll take some more phone calls at 503-417-7575 on this great Friday. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Got a birthday in the house today. Steven's birthday today. You know what Steven got himself for uh, his birthday? He got himself a day off. <laughs> I like his style. I'm just taking the day off. There you go. Happy birthday to Steven. Should we get him on the show? Should we bug him? Or is would that be poor form to call him and be like, hey, <laughs> it's your job? <laughs> you know? No, we, like, we, we got to call him for sure. Do you think... Like if okay, but let's let's evaluate this. Like if, like would I would I think it's poor form to if let's just say we're we're a restaurant, okay? And Stephen is like this hardworking, uh, you know, he's a chef at the restaurant, and he says I'm taking my birthday off. Would would it be bad form for the restaurant to call him on his birthday and be like, hey, happy birthday, buddy? It's so thoughtful. I don't think it is. 
I think you don't he want was... to see a work call on your phone. That's what I'm saying. I had a boss one time that called me all the time, all the time. Wanted to talk about what I was gonna write. Wanted to talk. They just called me nonstop to the point where like I'm like, hey, I got a job to do here. You need to stop calling me. Ugh. I I don't know. Peter, do you think we should call Stephen, or is that poor form? I believe that that is absolutely poor form. Let the man have yeah. a day off. He's working hard. Give him his day. Okay. That's not like he doesn't like us. He loves us. We're his friends. He I don't think so. From his he friends. filled I... out an electronic form to not see us or hear from us today. <laughs> hey, okay. He had to press submit. A phone call to wish happy der- birthday is much different than eight hours in downtown Portland. I tell you that. I actually think he was saying to us if he wanted to see us on his birthday or talk to us, he would have been here. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's in Phoenix, Arizona. There is no. Is there another Phoenix? Yeah, there's a Phoenix organ. Jeremy is in Phoenix, Arizona, and he's called in. Hey, Jeremy, what's up, man? Hey, man. Hey, I was just calling in about Dottie and Sean's. <clears throat> so my grandmother died about 20 years ago, and within four or five weeks, my grandpa had a major, major heart attack. I mean, I don't know. They did like a quintuple bypass to save him, and when he came out of it, he literally said, I died of a broken heart, and you idiots brought me back. <laughs> And there's something to so that. I, there's actually a, I've seen it before um, on Instagram. It's called Heart Mass, but it's mm-hmm. a institute that studies like the heart, the electromagnetic field, and connection with humans, and so on and so on. But it's absolutely true. People definitely die of a broken heart. I've I've seen it with my own eyes. Widowhood effect is what Harvard is calling it. You know, and they they've done they've studied in Michigan study, but but it's all stuff that we've known. You you saw it yourself. Your grandpa saw it himself. Yeah. Um, and there you go. How you doing, man? We you should call in all the time. You moved to Phoenix. I did. I live here mostly full time now. I've got a couple Airbnb Airbnbs going here, but I still have my care homes in Oregon. I'll actually be in Oregon Monday. But next time you're in Phoenix, you better come see me, or I'm gonna come find you. <laughs> That's a, hey, give me an idea. What's it like to be? An Airbnb guy, like, give us your biggest headaches, or is it pretty smooth? Uh, honestly, I haven't really had too many headaches. It's it's really easy here because there's so much always going on um, between like waste management thing, yeah. horse shows, Super Bowl shows, Super Bowl, baseball, spring training. Right now, I actually just had somebody book the house for tonight through the 28th or something like that. I have to look, but um, it just they book like instantly just a few minutes ago so it's easy and i love real estate so it's allowing me to accumulate more properties so best of both worlds for me entrepreneur there you go all right uh let's catch up man next time in phoenix i'll say hello thank you jeremy all right good to hear from you see this show's got reach maybe we should airbnb the studios out you know (laughs) remember when we had that guy living in the studio i talked about him yesterday on the show judah oh yeah i love that story yeah, he had that bedhead. Guy. That was my yeah. big sign that he was living there. Bless Do you know how he got caught? Because I don't know the actual story of how they found out. Did a cleaning person find him? Were you around at that time? I, uh, I interned, I think, during that time. I thought you uh, I thought you tipped off authorities. That's what no, I heard. I would I, never I heard, have done that. I heard that uh, you might I have respect it. I respect what he was doing. <laughs> I would not have tipped <laughs> off the authorities. I think a cleaning person... My, I'd have to go back and ask. I'd have to track the guy down and say, how did they find you? But my, my gut is that he was in on a weekend, of course, because he lived there. And for people who don't know, we're talking about a radio host who 
basically just decided he was going to live in the studio and nobody noticed for a few months. Uh, I think on a weekend there was a cleaning person who came in and they found him asleep. And they must have said something. Mm -hmm. But he was walking around like in a bathrobe with a cup of coffee and the paper. Yeah. You know? He was walking around like we were at his house. A little too comfortable. Kind of like the guy that uh, I heard the story that you told this week, maybe yesterday. I don't know. The guy that just goes into your living room when you were a kid and starts Miguel. watching TV, Miguel. Miguel, yeah, that's too funny, Miguel. I, I I'll never that. forget it. In my parents, it, for people who didn't hear it yesterday, like we came home a couple times and the TV would be on, and then everyone's like, "Did you leave the TV on?" And look, there's six of us, so my, it wasn't like my parents were like freaked out about it, but they were like, "Did you leave the TV on?" No. Did you? No. And then it happened a couple times, and then they were like, "Huh." And then we came home once, and Miguel was sitting on the couch watching TV. And Miguel was probably 16 or 17. He meant no harm. He worked at the nursery down the street. We knew him from a distance, but he didn't have a TV. And so Miguel saw it as an opportunity to, uh, you know, watch Three's Company or whatever he was watching. I don't know. It's eight o'clock. I gotta, I gotta watch my show. <laughs> that, that's such a pure in heart trespass. <laughs> it is, because he wasn't like he wasn't even eating any food. He would just come in and make himself at home in the living room, and he would watch television, and, and then he would leave undetected. Or he might have hear. He probably was hearing us in the driveway, and then he would take off running, and he would forget to turn the TV off. So. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to get caught, but we finally walked in on Miguel, and he was sitting on the sofa and surprised that we were home. House sitting. He was house sitting. As, <laughs> he was like the, a superhero whose superpower was, I'm going to house sit for you. Uh, let's go to Phil, who's in Portland. Phil, what's on your mind, man? What up, Gonzalo? Long-time listener. Uh, called a few times. Um, Thank I you. was calling just to say about, you know, about the different favorite trailblazers yes um of, of you know i'm i'm born in the 80s so i started watching the blazers probably late 90s so as much as i remember your your, your relationship with rasheed wallace he was yep. my favorite player and a lot of people my age we love him like we're like a marshawn lynch area you know we're we're, we're a yeah. Rasheed guy we're, we're we're both teams played hard i'm here not to get fined you know like Rasheed was the was the the epitome of my era, you know. Like, leave us alone. We're just here, you know. We'll let us live, you know. You know what's um, funny about the Blazers? We're, we're good, you know. You know what's funny, Phil, about Sheed is I have, I ha I like him more now than I did then because part of my job then was to interview him, and he was sometimes intentionally difficult. But now I look you back make at me mad. Yeah, but I look back at it now. Honestly, you did. I look back at him now, and I go, you know what? I probably would have been the same. Like I would have been just as difficult. Like why? You know why does he have to answer those questions? Why? Do, and and in the end, I think part of the reason why people were mad at Rashid at that time was he made a lot of money and he was unselfish as a player, but unselfish to a fault. Like he that made him good. Right. Also, and he had, if you let me, yeah. if you let me say one more thing. Yeah, um, go ahead. I listen, I, yeah. Again, again, I listen to you every day. I mean, working or not, I mean, even yesterday it was a snow day. I, I didn't go to work, but I still listen to your show. Um, but I also listened to uh, the Dan Patrick show, and he he had Bill Walton on, and it's funny 
that he can control Bill Walton as good as you can. <laughs> yeah, right. It's funny. <laughs> nobody's, day, nobody's, I'll, I'll you thank you. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate you, man. Nobody's controlling Bill Walton to the point where even uh, as I, even when I run into Bill Walton or get an email, I get emails from Bill Walton. His emails are the same way as his interviews. It's a one-way conversation, folks. Uh, you know, he goes on a long diatribe, and you got to love it. And there's some there's some beauty, there's some art in it, there's a little bit of Grateful Dead in it. And I think, you know, whenever I need like a Bill Walton pick-me-up, like there's just uh, there's an opportunity to talk to Bill Walton on this show. Like, you know, it's, I, I'm not always looking for like the the big answer from Bill Walton. But I always have a good time talking with him. I find it highly entertaining. I think the guy's got a lot to offer. And I also think, you know, we brought him on it early in the pandemic, April of 20, mid-April of 2020. I reached out to him. And I was like, Bill, you know, there's no sports going on. We need a little Bill Walton in our life. And what did he do? He came on this show, and he delivered the most hopeful, inspirational uh, it should have been a halftime speech for the pandemic. We will get by. We will survive. We are alive. Just think about those moments, you know, when it's tough, when you're on the bottom of a long, hard climb, when you don't know how the game is going to play out. But you look around and you see who's there and you see who's on your side. We are Oregon. We are going to get this done. We are the luckiest people in the world. We are alive. We can make a difference. Here we go, John. Much love, eternal gratitude, shine on, heal on, ride on, play on, carry on, Oregon on, BFT on, yes, Canzano on. Thank you, John. Bill Walton. That, I mean, was that not a halftime pep talk from Bill Walton for the pandemic? Come on. Leave it here. Get the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Every Friday we do a segment called What's Your Pee? Now Jim Rome does a segment. What is his segment called, Judah? That is about people that he does something similar. He does what is What's he? Your Beef. What's Your Beef? Yeah. I've heard other shows do segments. This is not an original thought, is what I'm saying. But basically, it comes out of a hey, get get this off your chest. I got an email from some guy who's obsessed, saying that we stole this from Jim Rome. Like it's like we stole the day of the week, you know? Like you you make a hamburger, I make a hamburger too. I'm not going to accuse you of stealing the hamburger. Um. What's bothering you? Can we call it that? What's your peeve? What's your beef? Peeve, I don't know. Peeve and beef are different. They're different words. So we didn't steal anything. I, it's not like, you know, <laughs> it's not like, you know, somebody is a switch hitting first baseman and then the other team has a switch hitting first baseman. You can't go, oh, you stole that idea from the other team. Right. It, yeah. It's, yeah, come on. Let's be reasonable here. But the point is... That really fires me up, by the way. Just this whole thing. <laughs> this guy... That's, that's, I'm so peeved about this. This Dang. guy emailed me. He posted on 
the BFT Facebook page after I emailed him back, and I said, dude, we're not, nobody's stealing anything. Jim Rome would roll his eyes at you. Um, nobody's stealing anything. Like, that's not, I don't even think Jim Rome's original to it. No. But what is bothering you on this Friday is a segment we do every Friday. The Mike in Portland's going to lead us off. But I want to hear from you. What's bugging you? What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. 503-417-7575. Get it off your chest. You tell me, what's your peeve? The Mike in Portland is uh, joining us. What's firing you up on this Friday, Mike? Hey, John, man, I think he got it wrong. I was calling about giving you some heads up on what was going on in Colorado, man. Okay. Because I know, I know you don't keep up. <laughs> in, in the grape, man, it's on the grapevine that Deion Sanders is in touch with uh, Tom Brady with the mm. possibility of him coming there to mentor quarterbacks. Uh-oh. So, so I'm just letting you know, man, so when you start talking about Oregon and Bo Nix and all that nonsense, man, it ain't happening, man. And plus, Deion Sanders say, man, they ain't trying to win in 24. They say they're going to win this year. So I'm just giving you a little heads up on that, man. You're buying, so, you're buying Colorado if it's a stock right now. Yes. Say, so, man, are, are you hip? Don't you realize that the um, the pro football teams are trying to recruit their co- their uh, coaching staff? They just mm-hmm. they just got Willie Tiger. They tried to get Sean Lewis, and then plus the Denver Broncos and already said that, that they could come through there with 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 their team, pick up on some some pointers and stuff. Say so they there to help. So, man, the Ducks ain't got a chance, man. I'm just letting you know that. So you're so you're saying you're saying you think Colorado is going to contend this season coming up, not in 24. They're going to win this next year. Do you have them going to Vegas in the title game? I have them coming, man. Don't you? Hey, they say they're coming, man. They say they're coming. I got them. They say they're going to come out winning this year. So you know, I heard you had some guy on the other day talking about the Ducks and the Beavers and them kind of guys. <laughs> so man, that's just pie in the sky type of stuff. Colorado, <laughs> man, you got to keep up on them, man. Okay. They for real. All right, this is what I'm going to do, Mike. I'm going to take the show to Boulder. We're going to watch spring practice. We're going to get Coach Prime on the show. We're going to do a show from the Colorado campus. And then you know will what? you say, I'm sleeping on them, or will you be like, okay, that's, uh, you know, you, you know where the action is? Well, John, one last thing before I go. Don't you realize that Cristobal, his whole staff, man, he's losing his staff. So Deion Sanders, man, is recruiting guys straight out of Miami, man. He's mm-hmm. getting guys from Cristobal team. So, you know, and it's just what goes around comes around. Yeah. Are you are you betting good. on Colorado though? Because the Vegas has them. Their over under on their win total is now dropped to four and a half games. Do you think you say like John, the over? Say, John, man, we they overcomers, man. Don't okay. nobody care about what they talk. What what Vegas is talking about, man. 
You got to okay. keep up on them, man. All right, all right. Talk we'll keep to you later. Up. All right, there's Mike. He's fired up that I I don't give Coach Prime in Colorado the respect that they deserve. Judah Newby, what what's your peeve? <laughs> Uh, I could listen to that all day. Uh, I Look, every time I go to the grocery store, I get a new peeve. My peeve most recently, though, is you know how you drive to the grocery store. You got to find a place to park. You're going kind of right in front of the entrance, and there's a lot of foot traffic. A lot of foot traffic when you're still in your car. And, you know, it's one thing for somebody to try to cross in front of you and get into the grocery store. And they do this thing where they start to jog. To, to, you know, quicken their pace so they're not bothering you too much. But they do this thing where they start to jog, but only for one step. And then they and then they walk the rest of the way. It's like if you you didn't mean that you were going to jog in the first place. You, you really had no heart to try to hustle your way past me here. You were just trying to milk it the whole time. Don't don't fake like you're jogging in front of me to get into the grocery store yeah. when you didn't intend to do that the yeah. whole time. Fakey jog That's in the fake crosswalk. Jog. Milking yeah. it. I've done that. You're crossing me the street. Too, Anna will give me a hard time. <laughs> She, recently, just like last weekend, I was crossing the street, and she goes, are you going to do that fake jog thing Yeah. where you pretend like you're going across the street? And I'm like, because you move your arms like you're running, you give but one, you're not really moving any step, faster. Like, ah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like a power it's, walk. It's a, it's a show. It's all show and no go. Uh, all right, the 5 at 5 is coming up. Plus, I'll take more of your peeves at 503-417-7575. B-F-F. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. We have the five at five coming up. Five biggest stories in sports. You may notice uh, that uh, Anna has not been here on today's show. It's not her birthday. <laughs> Steven taking the day off for his birthday. Nope. Uh, Anna's mom wasn't feeling well. And she loves her mom. Most people do. But she got real worried about her mom. And uh, so last night, through the snow, through the ice, on some dicey roads, right after the show, I uh, drove Anna to the airport and she flew down to Southern Oregon to take her mom to the emergency room. And uh, I think her mom's all right, but she was worried about her. And I don't think she would have forgiven herself if uh, something bad had happened. And so uh, that's why she's not here today. I wasn't really going to share that, but I get people who go, where's Anna? I'm not enough for you in the five at five. What? Come on. But I got to be honest, man, it was dicey on the roads last night at about 7 o'clock, driving uh, towards the airport, mostly 18-wheelers. And those guys know what they're doing out there. And the only experience I really have with bad weather was years and years ago, I covered the Big Ten. I was driving all over the Midwest. I learned how to drive in the ice and the snow, which is only to say you don't brake, you don't steer, you just kind of plod along. Like there's a, uh, like there's an egg underneath uh, both your brake pedal and your accelerator. No sudden movements. Uh, before we get into the five at five, I gotta ask Peter Sampson what his peeve is. Chris has called in, 
He's going to get to go. If you would like to join and give us your peeve as well, I might take a couple more at 503-417-7575. Peter, do you have a peeve? Uh, John, I always have a peeve. It's uh, At this point, it's not just a segment. It's a lifestyle, so I'm perpetually peeved at something. And I'm peeved with myself today because I forgot my lunch, and it means I have to uh, eat out of the vending machine here at work. And it's not like I had something amazing. You know what I mean? But I'd prepared it myself. It was just, it was a simple sandwich. It was some uh, some beef jerky, some old trapper beef jerky in the clear view bag. I asked for it mm-hmm. by name. And uh, and I left it in my kitchen. I prepared everything. I put it in the bag, and I did not bring it. I'm peeved with myself. You're mad at yourself. That's good. That's yeah. a good peeve. I'm also peeved at you because I would have yeah. loved some jerky. I would have shared. I would have loved. I love that clear view bag and asked for it by you name. You would have asked for it by name. Accountability, man. We don't steal this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is in West Lynn. I like Peter's peeve as well. Uh, Chris in West Lynn has a peeve. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, John. Uh, I don't know that I have a better peeve than that, but, you know, I tell you what, that guy that called in about Colorado, I mean, give me a break. Uh, I'm an Oregon State guy. Um, I, I would bet that guy that both Oregon and Oregon State beat Colorado next week, uh, next year. I mean, certainly you'll see improvement with Colorado, but to call, call in and make those kind of guarantees, man, that's one of my peeves. My other peeve is watching the Blazer game last night and knowing that they were resting Damian Lillard and Jeremy Grant. Um, I was receiving all these text messages from friends that are Blazer fans, and they're all, oh, this signifies the – the you tank, know, the, the, the tanking, and all of that, and, uh, and and what I what I'm frustrated with and peeved with is all my friends and all these Blazer fans that want to accept the mediocrity, accept oh we just wait till next year. I mean, as long as we keep feeling like that or accepting that, then we'll just continue to always wait till next year. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think you're right. Look, there's a lot of frustration. Thank you, Chris, for that level-headed call. A lot of frustration with whether or not a team is tanking or not. And also, you know, Damian Lillard going on Twitter saying we're not tanking. Okay, I'm going to wait and see how this team plays, who they seat up, who they suit up, rather, uh, and that's when we'll know whether or not they're tanking. Let's just go around the room right now, jury of three. Uh, you have to vote yay or nay. Are the Blazers tanking? Peter? No. Judah? No. I think they are. I think they're. I think, and and part of it is the circumstances w- under which they are. That that you've got Anthony Simons, Yus- Yusuf Nurkic. You're halfway there, it, and so I think, you know, are they are they are they actively sitting everybody? No, so I don't blame you for your nay votes. But what would make you believe they're tanking? How much more do you need to see? Uh, three and six in their next nine games. Then they will. Then they will. I just don't think they're quite there yet. Well, the, the tank means sit Dame for the rest of the year. That's what the tank means. If oh, he's that, playing, okay, they're so, not tanking. Okay. That's how that goes. Uh, uh, do you agree with that, Peter? The, the, Lillard's on the court. If you're trying tanking? to tank, it's I, stupid to play I Dame. Mean, yeah, tw- 20, <laughs> 2014 or 2015 tells you that you can't do that, and he's having a better year this year than he did then. I, yeah. I think so. I, I don't think you can tank with Dame on the floor. I do think I tend to agree with the school of thought that last year, was, which was one of the most intense tanks in NBA history, but it was sort of a perfect confluence of events. Like, you were bad, he got hurt, your GM, or excuse me, president of operations got fired. Like, all this stuff happened where you 
could just pull the ripcord. I don't know. I don't know that it's there this year. Well, let's see how it plays I out. I say you your first preseason column on the Blazers was tank tank for Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> right now, and I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. screw that. They're gonna contend. Look, they're gonna. They're I, in it this time. We'll always now, have ten and four. Here's here's what I'm here's where I stand. I'm always about doing something and doing it all the way. So if you're gonna tank, you, you start it. Start at game one, okay? Yeah. Why these teams wait for game 62 is beyond me. Like, what are you doing? That's like mowing the lawn halfway. Like, it's like going into the gym and going, you know what, I'm going to work out today, but I'm only doing the right side of my body, not the left side. <laughs> I, I go full throttle, man. It, Vic, Victor Wimbanyama was out there. You know, and the only thing that has changed is I'm better at pronouncing his name now, 60 games later. So <laughs> this is it. Yeah, October, man. You you asked for that by name. You were ahead of the curve. I said tank and tank now. But I, but I didn't mean it like Lillard should sit down for the season. I was more like make some moves that, you know, buy into playing Shade and Sharp a whole bunch, buy into playing your young guy, like trade Nurk, like clear the deck. So that you're not, you're just not very good, but they're they're getting there, and that you know whether it's now or six games, nine games from now, they'll get there more. Why not just go all the way, do it right? If you're gonna, if they know they're gonna tank, you might as well do it right. Yeah, that's I, all. I'm honestly, saying. I agree with that. I just think they're holding out hope that you don't know, like it, like a Dallas or Westbrook, you know, makes the Clippers implode or just one of these teams collapses in front of them, they can sneak in. They are desperate to sneak in, whether it's smart or not. Let's do the five at five, and then we'll come back to this topic and talk more about the tank that isn't the tank. The five at five. Well, a development in the regional sports network business world. John Orand uh, of the Sports Business Journal is reporting that Warner Brothers Discovery has told and informed some professional teams that it wants out of the regional sports network business. Here are the teams that are affected. Three NBA teams, the Trailblazers, the Jazz and the Rockets. Four Major League Baseball teams, the Mariners included. Three NHL teams, including the Kraken. This is an issue potentially for the Blazers, an issue moving forward. If Warner Brothers Discovery is exiting this regional sports network business entirely, they operate AT&T Sportsnet, they operate Root Sports, you have a minority stake in Root Sports. Uh, it's problematic for the Blazers and the Mariners in particular. But keep an eye on it. Um, you know, and this move comes as another big regional sports network group is preparing to file for bankruptcy. The Diamond Sports Group, which has rights to 42 professional teams, uh, is expected to file for bankruptcy. They oper operate under the name of Bally Sports but they are $8 billion in the hole. Keep an eye on it. This is going to affect the Trailblazers broadcast, probably not this season, but certainly by next season. That is number one in our five at five. Number two in our five at five, I mentioned it earlier, spring training is going to be dicey in Major League Baseball. All these rule changes, bigger bases, pitch clock. Manny Machado committed the very first ever pitch clock violation. Who was the first player to hit for the cycle? Who knows? But I know what Manny Machado did. He's the first ever to have a pitch clock violation. Here it is, 17 seconds of Manny Machado 
with his left foot not in the batter's box. Meanwhile, I believe Manny has just been called for a violation. Not getting in the box in time. Yeah, it's 0-1 as he stands in, and now the pitch is high. Manny Machado uh, subsequently singled on the at-bat, but get used to it. I think spring training is going to be dicey, a little bit messy, and a little bit uncomfortable for some teams. Alabama remains in denial. This is number three in our five at five. Nate Oates, the embattled coach at Alabama, got a great team on the court, completely falling on its face off the court. Alabama's basketball program and its head coach maintaining that they believe the university and the program have done the right thing in continuing to allow Brandon Miller to play after his name appeared in connection with a January shooting. Now, Miller transported the weapon that was used to kill a 23-year-old woman. Their family feels terrible. Alabama's mishandled this. It's been a PR disaster and a procedural disaster for them. Miller, meanwhile, played the other night the day that he was implicated sort of in the event. He's not charged with a crime, but, you know, there, 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 there's definitely some questions here for Miller. The day that this happened, he scores 41 points. You know, I'm not calling him a sociopath, but how locked in do you have to be to score 41 points the same day that police are talking about you transporting the murder weapon to the scene of a crime? Michael Wilbon on ESPN went after Alabama a little bit today. I don't care what 40. There's so much we don't know, and I don't care about the basketball at all. I don't care. I don't care what fortitude he might have shown. I don't care about the booing or the points. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is whether or not he should have been playing when I, when, when I turned on, whether or not he should have been representing the university or any university. And in, as, in addition to covering sports forever and ever, decades, I also help steward a university that plays Division I sports, my own alma mater, Northwestern. And I'm thinking, suppose, you know, suppose any of us could be involved in something where the legalities are so complex and we don't know enough. Like, what conviction? We know a few facts, a very few. Stephen A. outlined some of them. A very few facts. What conviction is there from law enforcement or from his own legal defense team behind what we're told are facts? What's coming down the pike? What else can we anticipate? What don't we know? Given all of that, I thought, no, he shouldn't have been playing last night. I agree with Wilbon. I think you sit him or you suspend him pending the outcome of the investigation. You need to know more. Shame on Alabama for playing him. Shame on Alabama for insisting they did everything right. Give it some time. Give yourself a breather. Take a step back. Because the damage here, and I said it yesterday, there, there'll be a civil lawsuit. The family of the woman who was killed in this crime is going to sue Alabama. You better believe it. And they're going to name... The athletic department, they're going to name the head coach. They have uh, victimized and re-victimized the family of a 23-year-old woman who lost her life. But basketball first, I guess. Number four in the five at five. How about this? Um, you got Tennessee suspending their baseball coach, Tony Vitello, today for their weekend series with Dayton. While the NCAA and Tennessee handle a violation in the program.
They announced the suspension today. That university is saying, hey, we need to take a breather here. Coach isn't going to coach the games because we may have broken some rules. Tennessee cited some NCAA bylaws. Apparently, this stems from a player who has yet to be cleared to play for Tennessee who transferred to the school. Uh, Vitello was also suspended for four games last season for chest bumping an umpire during a confrontation. But this is a high-level baseball program, the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament last year, that is going, hey, we don't think we, we don't feel good about this potential investigation. We're going to sit our coach down over the weekend. It's the right thing to do. Maybe Alabama should rubberneck. Pay attention to what Tennessee's doing. Finally, the fifth thing in our five at five, the Miami women's basketball program is among the first to be sanctioned by the NCAA for an NIL-related infraction. NCAA issuing its first sanctions in a case related to name, image, and likeness. They dinged the Miami women's basketball program, gave them a year of probation for their involvement in urging a meeting between a well-known wealthy alum and two players who transferred to the school last summer. We're talking about John Ruiz, who is at the center of Miami's name image like his empire. He has signed more than 100 Hurricane athletes to NIL deals to promote his company, LifeWallet. Some of them reportedly hundreds of thousands of dollars. Miami's buying players, or at least a booster is, and now the Miami women's basketball program has been slapped on the wrist for apparently arranging some meetings. That's the five at five, five biggest stories going on as I see them. Coming up, uh, we'll dive deeper on the Blazers, their broadcast issues, and what you can and can't trust on the sports media landscape. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I want to unpack the five at five, the five things that I was talking about earlier um, as we... Uh, as we go around the big stories, NCAA sanctions for Miami. Uh, John Ruiz, the Miami booster who's at the center of this thing, um, you probably have heard about him. You've read about him. He's got like 100 athletes that he has given NIL deals to. Um, anytime there's a rule change on the field, you expect teams to challenge it, right, to try to find an angle. Chip Kelly is really good at that. He find a way to exploit a rule change. The Philadelphia Eagles, that whole, you know, short yardage scrum that they do. Um, it's not illegal by NFL rules, but it will soon be. Like, you know, the NFL, as they examine rules, they'll, they'll look at that and go, okay, this is, uh, this, is, uh, this is actually not in the spirit of the game, even though it's a legal play. I don't blame them for doing it. Say, don't at me if you're an Eagles fan. But I'm just saying that's what I'm talking about. Anytime there's a advancement, or there's a rule change, they're going to allow you on fourth down and inches to get 
six players to push the quarterback like it's a rugby scrum, and they're going to say that's a legal play. As soon as a bunch of teams start doing it at a 100% conversion rate, the NFL is going to go, okay, we need to examine that. We're going to walk that back. The same thing is going to happen with name, image, likeness, and it is happening right now with the NCAA trying to show its teeth a little bit with Ruiz. Now, the NCAA doesn't want any part of a lawsuit. Keep that in mind. So I think the reason why they're making the first case a women's basketball case is because they don't want a big blow-up. It's not going to be the star quarterback that the NCAA goes after first. They're going to go and slap the program on the wrist. They are not, you know, coming in with, like, you know, a ban. It's going to be minor penalties, year of probation. They're basically sending out a flare here to Miami and John Ruiz going, hey, um, we're not totally comfortable with the idea that you are out and out buying players. So where they have found an issue, the NCAA, that is, is that apparently the Miami women's basketball program arranged the meeting between the recruits and two transfers who ended up transferring to the school. And so um, Ruiz is you know, going to be annoyed by this. Uh, Ruiz said, as it was announced, quote, it has little to no substance and no effect on me at all. It's mostly focused on the coach, and that's unfortunate, but it doesn't affect me or my business. If it did, I would be suing the NCAA, and it would not be a good day for them, end quote. It's going to be problematic. What do you guys make of that? Ruiz in Miami and the NCAA firing that flare. I do think you're right that, the, that they're targeting uh, women's basketball with this you know, first entry into the, to the lawsuit. I don't see them you know, winning this. <laughs> I, I think when, when it comes to guys like Ruiz and guys with, with you know, the size of uh, pockets that he's got, that it's going to take a lot more than that. This seems like a warning shot more than anything. I, I don't personally see them being able to win a, a lawsuit like this. Ruiz says it's not going to change the way that he does business. And he questioned, by the way, why the NCAA opted to issue its first sanctions in a sport where these deals do not, they're not viewed as a widespread issue. Well, I got news for you, Ruiz. They didn't want to go after a high-profile case. They didn't want the blowback. They're basically going, hey, we're not comfortable with this, and they're starting by nibbling around the edges. And this is uh, the new, is this the first kind of, you know, action of the new leader there? What's his name? Char yes. Charlie Baker? Yeah, the new, uh, the new head of the NCAA. The new head of the NCAA that, that replaced Mark Emmert, Fife Washington zone, Mark Emmert. And uh, so Charlie Baker's coming in trying to shake things up a little bit is what it smells like. Yeah. And he's hired FBI and former FBI and former CIA investigators. And then they got they got some bylaw changes on January 1 where it says, uh, you know, the NCAA used to, used to struggle with subpoena power. They had no power. So they had no ability to compel a person who was under investigation to testify, do an interview, provide documents. They had no ability to do any of that. But the new bylaw change in the NCAA allows the investigators to use third-party information such as a media report to uh, presume guilt. So it's more of a guilty instead of innocent. Now you've got to pro provide evidence that you're innocent. So what they've done here is they found a clear-cut case where coaches have urged two recruits, put him in contact with Ruiz, 
and said, hey, um, this guy can take care of you with an NIL deal. And they have now said, "This uh, we've got one. we got a live one. All right? But uh, it doesn't really change anything. It just kind of signals to the rest of the NCAA members that they're starting to look into this stuff. So, right, what are you supposed to do? Like, if you're the Ducks, then Dan Landon can't do anything. He can't point a recruit to the direction of Division Street. They've got to find Division Street themselves, or Division Street's got to find them, and Dan can't do anything? Like, what? I the mean, ultimately, they're going to end yeah. up at the same spot anyway, so why does it matter? Yeah, the, because the, I guess they want to, the, um, they being the NCAA, I, I guess their mission is to say, hey, these recru- these boosters are not out and out buying the players. They, they're supposed to wait until the players are enrolled and then go, hey, that guy would be a great spokesperson right. for my product. Let's marry this together. Like, it came up on the show earlier today where, where we had Chance Gray, the Oregon women's basketball player. She's already enrolled at Oregon. She's on the show. It's a segment that's sponsored by Jamba Juice. And I say, you know, Jamba Juice listens to the show. Like, she would be great. How about you come back next week? And she's like, all for it. It won't be long. Like, Jamba did that with Jaden Grant. They were like, hey, yeah, there's our spokesperson. So it won't be long, but they're already enrolled. And I guess what they're trying to, what the NCAA is trying to avoid here, is a, you know, what what is really happening is that, you know, athletes who are not committed to a school are going, oh, I'd like to come to your school. How much playing time will I get? Um, you know, who's going to coach me? And what can you do for me in the NIL world? And those conversations are happening before they're enrolled or before they made a decision, because the players want to know what's available to me. And, you know, some of them are for sale. Well, and then you get that Rashida case, right, in Florida where they he asks that question, they tell him what's coming, and then they can't deliver. You're right. And now it gets really messy. I think th- we're, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg on that, so to speak. Uh, coming up, we'll play some Punch It Audio, and I'll tell you what's on tap for the weekend. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We're going to play some punch and audio coming up here. Peter Sampson and The Pulse coming up at 6 o'clock. Before I jump into punch and audio, guys, a little bit of news coming uh, out of the state of Florida. Tampa Bay Times reporting today, just a few minutes ago, Matt Baker's story in the Tampa Bay Times. Florida State has fired a warning shot to the ACC. Trustee at Florida State asked the ACC whether a buyout to leave the conference was feasible. Florida State not happy uh, about the revenue gap between the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC. Um, Here are the numbers. The SEC will make $811 million per year with their new ESPN-ABC deal. $811 million per year. The Big Ten getting about a billion dollars. The ACC will make $240 million. Uh, to make matters worse, the ACC's deal does not expire until 2036, and that comes after the Big Ten and the SEC get to go back to the table again and renegotiate. So the ACC's really not happy. Um, that's about a $30 million annual gap between Florida State, what they can get, and what programs in the SEC and the Big Ten are getting. Pac-12 is facing the same predicament. It won't quite be $30 million, 
but the Pac-12 uh, and ACC and a lot of others in the same boat here as they try to compete without the same amount of resources. Good luck with that. It's essentially the difference between small market teams and large market teams. But Florida State says that uh, this can't go on, uh, and uh, they have to make that gap up. Keep an eye on that as the Pac-12 continues to negotiate their deal. Let's play some punch it audio. We got great sound. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Some bad feelings about Russell Wilson's departure from Seattle or what went on before he departed. Uh, according to uh, a story in The Athletic, uh, Russell Wilson tried to get Pete Carroll and John Schneider fired before he was traded to the Broncos. Wilson denies that. Here's Pete Carroll. Uh, after the Seahawks beat the Broncos on Monday Night Football earlier this season, you tell me, does this sound like a head coach who was happy to see his former quarterback go away? Punch it. I didn't need the validation. I just wanted it. I just wanted to win. You know, I wanted to win for every, all of the reasons that, that, that come along with this one. Uh, maybe as much as anything is representing the guys that have played before. It meant a lot to those guys. And uh, um, I was so thrilled to, to be able to hug those guys up and see them and look them in the eye. And, Why did and, it mean and, so and much show. to them? Yeah, you figure that out. They, they, um, but it was really meaningful, and they really wanted it. And uh, I knew we were playing for a lot more than just the regular stuff. It kind of sounds like uh, Pete knows there was something extra, not just for him, but for the guys. Remember when Wilson was introduced as a Bronco, he gave a lot of love to Pete Carroll. Punch it. Uh, obviously, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll was the was was a coach that uh, always chew, chewing his bubble gum, always always believed in the fourth quarter comebacks with me. Um, a guy that uh, I always believed into as well and. We've had amazing, amazing moments, amazing conversations, amazing days together, amazing, I mean, just so many amazing times. And um, so, you know, Pete, obviously, yeah, he's a Hall of Fame coach, in my opinion. He's been an amazing person along the way with me. I don't know. There's someday somebody's going to write a book and tell it all. Meanwhile, uh, Davis Webb has been hired as the new quarterbacks coach in Denver. Davis Webb leaving the Giants to become the coach for Russell Wilson. Webb is 28 years old. Last started a game in the NFL uh, just a couple seasons ago, or played in the NFL a couple seasons ago, but he's younger than Russell Wilson. First year with the Broncos, it'll be Davis Webb coaching Russell Wilson with a lot of drama in the background. Moving on, Dylan Brooks, former Oregon Duck, got into it with James Harden and Joel Embiid. Two separate incidents. Dylan Brooks making a reputation for himself. Punch it. Brooks, triple. Nice shot. I love Brooks. I know you do. No one is saying a word to him, but he is creating in his own mind, in his own head, some friction here with the, the Philly faithful. Right Ooh, now, Brooks. Yes. Well, it didn't take long. 
little more than three minutes before the Brooks and uh, someone else got it stirred up a little bit. Of course, Donovan Mitchell is a yes. friend of Brooks. Yes. <laughs> Didn't we just see this yeah, we did. a couple in weeks Cleveland. ago, you and I? Harris has it. Torn away by Jackson with the whistle. And B now shoving Brooks. And the coach is running out there. A lot of reaching, a lot of physicality. James Harden did not like that Dylan Brooks fouled him at the top of the key and uh, nudged him a little bit after the whistle. Didn't look like a lot, but players are starting to push back. Brooks's reputation is clearly out there. But uh, former MVP James Harden turned around annoyed with Brooks and Brooks was smiling he's an agitator it's exactly what he wants to do he wants to get you off your game get you thinking about everything but basketball you can dislike Dylan Brooks a lot of people do but if he's suiting up for your team you probably love him City Commissioner Dan Ryan joined us right here in the bald face truth Portland City Commissioner I asked him about Portland's role in becoming a major league city how does the city factor in that kind of decision? Here's Dan Ryan, city commissioner. Punch If we look at the, the near-term and the long-term future of our city, and I want us to be a major league city, we have to protect the current franchises we have. Of course, we have the Blazers, but we really want to see that, that WNBA franchise come back. And I think it's really important for us to keep visioning what else we can bring. Yeah, you've got to have vision. You, can, you need it from City Hall. And for now, it's some talk, but I like that Dan Ryan was interested in coming on this show. I like that he's raising his profile with sports fans. He's been viewed as a pro-sports commissioner, meaning he is in favor and will support sporting endeavors. And I think the current makeup of the city council, far more favorable for the sports landscape than it's been in years past. That said, I would like to take the city commissioners and the mayor on a trip to Las Vegas. Show them what happens when a city really gets behind building things and creating infrastructure and the vision and the jobs and the growth and the image and the branding of a city like you know i'll be in vegas next week for a little bit and the week after watching some basketball and what always surprises me or maybe doesn't surprise me about las vegas is the fact that you can be out at like midnight 1 a.m and you can hear the sounds of prosperity, jackhammers and cranes functioning around the clock. They light up the construction scenes. They work overnight. Michael Wilbon talking about Brandon Miller in Alabama. He's uncomfortable. I played this clip earlier, but I want to revisit it. Punch it. Care what Ford there's so much we don't know, and I don't care about the basketball at all. I don't care. I don't care what fortitude he might have shown. I don't care about the booing or the points. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is whether or not he should have been playing. When I, when should he have been playing? Brandon Miller on the court this week scored 41 points on the same day that police testified that Miller brought the weapon that was used in a capital murder case to the scene of the crime. Now, he has not been charged with a crime. He says he didn't know the weapon was in the car, was covered by a... That's fine. There's, as Wilbon points out, a whole bunch of questions here that need to be answered. But the point is, we don't have those answers. And you've got a family that's lost their 23-year-old daughter, 
You've got a five-year-old kid who lost their mother in this murder. And you just don't know. I don't know how comfortable I am with Brandon Miller being on the court. And Alabama's mishandled this in so many ways. Athletic department, athletic director, media relations, PR, crisis management. That basketball coach, Nate Oates, he said the wrong things. They just trampled all over the pain and suffering of the family. The, you know, it just, this is too big. The stakes are too high. They're just, there are some crimes that rise to the level of, hey, let's err on the side of caution here. Even if our guy, and their guy in this case is Brandon Miller, who scored 41 points as a freshman in a basketball game this week, even if your guy ends up being innocent, the stakes are too high to risk him being a part of this. I would need to be far more comfortable with what transpired than, hey, you know, trust us, wrong place, wrong time. This is a bad look for Alabama. It makes Alabama look like all it cares about is winning. There's something wrong about that. That's Punch It Audio. Best sound from all around. Coming up, I'll tell you what's on tap this weekend when it comes to sports. John Canzano here. So you do your research. You know exactly what you want, the options, the color. You got it all dialed and you're ready to buy. But when you check out, you see the prices jacked up. You feel like someone's trying to cheat you, right? You know what I mean if you've been to most car dealers. Right there in the window, they have the manufacturer's retail price, the exact price that you saw on the manufacturer's website. But next to it is the evil market adjustment sticker, adding $3,000 or $5,000 or even $12,000 to the price. That seems a little underhanded if you ask me. That's why the only place that you need to go is to go see Bess and Preston and the team at Gresham Ford. They're the nicest people you're ever going to meet, plus they don't play any of those evil pricing games. Good people with good prices. And Gresham Ford has the best inventory that they've had in a long time. So go see Gresham Ford. Find them on Powell, just two blocks east of 242nd, and online at GreshamFord.com. Auto accident, two laws to remember. You have the right to choose who repairs your vehicle, and insurance must cover 100% of your auto claim. I'm Leif with Leif's Auto Collision. Knowing these laws, why would anyone settle for an insurance discount shop that uses cheap parts and cuts corners? There's an old saying, you get what you pay for. Choose Leif's, Oregon's premier body shop for over 30 years. Factory parts, pre-loss, pickup and delivery, loaners, deduct assist. Leif's, always on your side. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, call Select Quote at 1 800 478 6688. That's 1 800 478 6688. Or go to SelectQuote.com. 1 800 478 6688. That's 1 800 478 6688. Select Quote. We shop. 
You save. Full details on example policies at selectquo.com slash commercials. Guys, struggling with erectile dysfunction and sick of the pills? Today only at Lux Wave Men's Clinic, you qualify for a free assessment, exam, ultrasound, and three follow-up treatments. Call 971-771-0437 or online at luxwavemensclinic.com. I always wanted to learn Spanish, but I never thought I'd have the time. Then I discovered Babbel. Babbel's lessons are fun. They only take like 10 or 15 minutes, and in three weeks, presto, you're starting to speak another language, like magic. I love that Babbel's lessons aren't just robots talking. They're voiced by native speakers, so you get the pronunciation just right. And they're designed by real language teachers, so you learn how to have real-world conversations, things you'll actually use. It's incredible. After using Babbel, I'm ready to start having real conversations in French. There's all kinds of ways to learn. Use Babbel's podcasts or games or videos. You can even join live classes with a language teacher. If you want to learn a language, there's no faster, easier, better way than Babbel. 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 Evidemment. Go to Babbel.com to try for free. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Babbel.com. Is GEICO, Allstate, or Liberty Mutual handling your auto accident? Give LAFES a call before you call in your claim. LAFES has been authorized to conduct a paid survey up to $500 to document the consumer adjuster interactions during the claim process. To qualify, call LAFES before you call the insurance company. Your vehicle is repairable and you haven't chosen a repair shop. This is a confidential survey. Having problems with insurance or repairs? Call LAFES Auto Collision Centers. Always on your side. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson and The Pulse coming up top of the hour. Peter, what do you got on the uh, show today? Uh, yeah, I got to talk more about this uh, this Warner uh, Root Sports issue. I, this might be a potentially a problem, uh, not just for the Trailblazers, but for a lot of teams. So I want to dig into that a little bit. I mean, it's obvious regional sports networks going the way of the Dodo. This is going to expedite it. Here we go. Uh, on that note, let's talk about what's on tap this weekend. Now. It's time for What's on Tap and What's on TV at the Independent on the BFT. Big NBA game on Saturday, 5.30 Pacific time. Celtics 76ers. Keep an eye on that. In the Pac-12, we got a whole slate of games going on this weekend uh, when it comes to men's basketball, including your Oregon Ducks and your Oregon State Beavers. On the Pac-12 Networks uh, coming up on Saturday, this is a noon tip-off between the Ducks and the Beavers. Keep an eye on that. Uh, Also on the docket this weekend on uh, men's basketball in the Pac-12 Conference, because it's kind of an important time. By the way, it's not a noon noon tip-off. It's a 7 p.m. tip-off. I was looking at the women's schedule. The Ducks will, women uh, at the University of Oregon will tip off at noon also on Saturday tomorrow on ESPNU, USC will play Utah in a game that could decide who's the four seed in the Pac-12 men's tournament. And if you are a Duck or a Beaver fan, I'm going to double down on this. Pac-12 Network, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. The Ducks and the Beavers will play in the what amounts to the Civil War basketball game. Um, there is a little bit of 
confusion on the Pac-12 front. There was an interesting tweet this morning by Brett McMurphy, who has been a guest on this show, who basically said, oh, the Pac-12 is uh, running out of options, and here's who they're negotiating with when it comes to their media rights. And then Stuart Mandel of The Athletic, who has also been on this show, he's a friend of this show, came back and said, um, uh, no, uh, Scripps Sports is not involved in the Pac-12's TV negotiations and kind of shot that down. And and a lot of people, I got all of a sudden my phone was blowing up going, what is going on here? Is this a fight between two media members? Some of it is, look, you've got to be able to, all you can do when you're reporting is try to be as sourced as you possibly can be. And by sourced, what do I mean? I mean, look, if the Pac-12 is involved in negotiations with Apple or ESPN or whoever, like the best source would be somebody directly involved with the negotiations, somebody in George Klyovkov's inner circle, the consulting firm that is operating on behalf of the Pac-12 or the actual media entity itself, one of the university presidents or chancellors who's Maybe on the executive committee would be a really good source because that person's going to be super tuned in. One of the athletic directors, um, as the bullseye goes out, would be tuned into that because the athletic director is going to be in contact with the university presidents. And then it starts to go weaker and weaker as you get outside of that circle. But, you know, you're only as good as your sources as a reporter. And it's why I always try to tell you, like, I'm not going to get in the game of guessing and wishing that a lot of people get into. And there are a lot of media outlets that aren't really sourced. They just aren't. They haven't done the work. They haven't been around. They don't have the trust. They haven't developed the relationship with the people. So part of being sourced is uh, just knowing that you have been there long enough and have been in those conversations and developed uh, relationships uh, with sources who can tell you if you're right or wrong about something. And so I, I've i told people that my aim on this show and my mission at johnconzano.com is to give you sourced, in-depth reporting and commentary that you can't get anywhere else. That's it. I'm not in the, I'm not in the wishing and hoping game. I'm not here to be used. I don't serve the Pac-12. I don't serve the media companies. And I certainly don't serve some consulting firm that is charging any of these people that wants their narrative pushed. I get contacted by those firms. I've had multiple people who are who have a dog in the fight who will try to steer me towards, well, this is what you're missing. This is what and then I ask more questions and then I go to the horse's mouth or I go to the university sources that I have and I say, Hey, does this check out? And they go, No, it doesn't. So I'm not saying that Brett McMurphy or Dennis Dodd, who are, I think, the two biggest offenders. I'm not saying that those guys are bad at their jobs or anything like that. I'm just saying maybe they're talking to the wrong people. Because the people I'm talking with are not concerned about the Pac-12's media rights deal. They are confused as why it's taking so long. They're annoyed that the Pac-12 is not speaking more. But what I'm hearing uh, from top to bottom in the Pac-12 is, and I've heard this since July, Right since early July, when USC and UCLA announced they were leaving in last day of June, early July, I started pounding the pavement, and you can't really 
get sourced overnight. And that's part of the problem, I think, with some of the reporting that's going on, is you have parties that have a lot to gain that are feeding information to some of the national media members that I think might not be 100% accurate information. I see things that are totally agenda-driven, and there's a little bit of back-scratching going on. And, and, and if you are somebody who's been tuned into like the reporting around election time in the last couple of few elections, you're savvy to this game, that there seems to be a lot of agenda depending on what network you listen to or what show you watch or, you know, if you're on CNN, you're on Fox, you kind of know, you have to kind of go, okay, they're, they are pro this or they are anti this. Um, it, and it's we're now seeing it bleed into the reporting in this sports stuff. And it's like, like it's partisan reporting, which it shouldn't be. That's not reporting. See, for me, I just, I feel like, and I said this earlier in the show, and I'm going to double down on it. I'm not here to prop up the Pac-12. I'm also not here to be unfair to the Pac-12. I'm here to serve you, the listener of the show, and the reader. That's it. That's my mission. I'm loyal to you. My loyalty is with you 100%. And so what I want you to know is I want you to know what's really going on. And I've had people who have a dog in the fight tell me you should report this. And they give me some cockamamie thing that doesn't check out. And I go, well, why don't I just report the truth? Because there's some people out there that are not interested in finding out the truth. Because the truth is that it sucked that USC and UCLA left the Pac-12. It hurt. You went from the conference having a media rights figure that would have been north of $40 million per school per year to probably low 30s. That's what you know, losing USC and UCLA, losing the LA TV market caused. This cost Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. Uh, it cost everybody about $8 million a year. Stanford, Cal, that's what it cost. But the truth is, this conference was never imploding. Any media member who got hysterical on Twitter and went, you need to run immediately and leave the conference, is somebody who's not sourced and not tuned in. There's, nobody, there's nowhere to run to. Oregon and Washington can't run anywhere. Four-cornered schools, they can't leave anywhere. There's nowhere to go. There's no grass that's greener than the Pac-12 for those schools. And so from the beginning, from July, I was telling you on this show that this conference is going to hold together. And I had literally, I was at Pac-12 Football Media Day. I was interviewing the head football coaches at all the schools. You remember that show if you tuned in. And I had numerous coaches off air say, hey, can I ask you, you're tuned in more than anybody on this front. Is our conference going to disintegrate? Because they were hearing that nonsense from media members who were out there. Let, like literally out there um, spilling nonsense. And some of them came on this show and said, you know, uh, John, you don't want to hear this. But, but that's not what I was hearing from the beginning. And it's not what I continue to hear from Pac-12 members. I heard at the beginning that the Four Corners universities, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado were all sitting tight. Nowhere to go. Not leaving for the Big 12. Oregon and Washington, nowhere to go. Doesn't pencil out. And in fact, I talked to the Big Ten Conference, some athletic directors and, and a university president in the Big Ten, and they said, 
Oregon doesn't make sense for us. Washington doesn't make sense for us. They don't want to share. You know, they don't want to subsidize those schools. So, look, I'm going to give it to you straight. I'll tell you if there's bad news. I'll tell you if there's good news. It's somewhere in between. Leave it here. Peter Sampson on the Pulse coming up. Have a great weekend. We're back on Monday.